Welcome, everybody, to the November 8th edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. This is a big episode, folks, because it's the return. Fear the return of one Jake Rudolph after a lengthy absence, after a voyage through the wilderness of the eastern United States. He's back. Finally, (laughs) I have returned. There's a rock uh, reference for people. Yeah, I, I I assume that that had something to do with wrestling. So there yeah, you go. There you go. Are, already making your presence felt off to, here. Off to a great start. And yeah. Felix, you know what else it is? Uh oh, um, daylight savings. No, it's also the return of my time Monday. Oh God. Yeah. So this is going to be a good episode. Yeah, we're we're already rocking and rolling here, which is which which is what you love to see as Jake just lifts up his glass and pours it and pours his my time into the glass right in front mm-hmm. of the camera. Just mm-hmm. just great. Well, Jake, so I have a couple of things I want to throw at you here. All right. Hit me with we, it. Before we talk about any hockey whatsoever. Okay. Um, which, which I'm sure people are just, you know, they love that we're just choosing to go on a tangent. You know, this is an intentional tangent. Let does the record ca- show it was not me that took us on this tangent. Does it, does it count as a tangent if you decide to go on the tangent? Like, I feel like tangents are usually unintentional. I don't know. Yeah, it's up for debate. I don't know. Bonnie's somewhere listening. Let, let's let the um, the English teacher tell us. <laughs> well, I don't know. I <laughs> commentate. Look, I, I don't want to question her credentials, but she doesn't believe the word commentate is a word, <laughs> despite its presence in the dictionary. So I don't know. Love don't you, know. Bonnie. I'll leave it at that. Um, so first first order of business: daylight savings. So spring forward, fall back. We were in the fall back. Um, what are your thoughts on daylight savings? It's like, awful. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. Like, does anyone, like, who decided this? Who, like, it, what is this isn't about? Isn't it, like, way back when so that there's more, like, sunlight in the morning for farmers or something like that? I have no clue. I and think I sh- that that's what it was, is that there was, like, more time. But I can tell you this. It's miserable to leave work, and it's dark out. And yeah. it's the only, I guess, reason why it's somewhat nice is that, I'm still like on East Coast time or whatever it is and can't mm-hmm. really tell what time of day it is at all. Yeah. So I'm waking up and the sun's out because I'm waking up at like 5 or 6 a.m. Uh-huh. And so it's nice that the sun's up earlier. But once I uh, get back to normal, uh, it's going to be miserable. But yeah. did you – I mean, this could be the last year of it. I think really? that they are actually like talking. There's a Review. bill on Congress's seat or something like that that they have to vote on to essentially basically listing out all the negative impacts health-wise <laughs> – on yes. people, the fact that people are in darkness more after it's like unsafe for people to go on a walk sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it leads to more seasonal depression. The fact that people aren't uh, working out as much, people eat worse. There's a whole lot of negative impacts from daylight savings that uh, way outweigh the positive impacts for like farmers, I guess. And so, yeah, and like businesses, you know, like, yeah, it's more important for people to be happy and healthy than for so you know, whatever. Supposedly, they might end up just like abolishing it across the entire nation. Good. Well, I signed me up for that because yeah, yeah I was outside today at, at like two p.m. and I was like, "Why does it feel like it's five already?" Just the the the, the sunlight was, you know, very. It was already felt dimming. Like it was already getting darker. Yeah. So not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Whatsoever. Second order of business. So Cap- the fact the fact that you were on the East Coast means you were exposed to life as a sports fan on the East Coast, and I want to read you. This tweet from Thomas Strantz, who covers the Canucks of the Athletic today, um, he tweeted this out, and I want your take on this because it ties into your recent journey. 
This is what he said. As a West Coast sports fan who spent 10 years on the East Coast in my 20s and 30s, the East Coast TV viewing experience is so, so, so superior. That's three so's to say that it's superior. And then he lists out a, a few different things, which I think you will have opinions on as well. Afternoon football, greater than 10 a.m. football. Watchable EPL starts, greater than 4.30 a.m. EPL starts. And then lastly, 10 p.m. late games, greater than everything being over by 10.30 p.m. So your thoughts on that? All right. The one point that he has there is <laughs> EPL times being better. Sure. He gets that. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Like, whatever. It is what it is. 10 a.m. NFL starts are fun, though. Like, I have no issues. Like, the fact yeah. that on the West Coast, you wake up and there's football on until 9 or 10 p.m. Like, from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., there's yeah. football on. Like, it's great. Whereas on the East Coast, like, so what was it? I think it was one it's of the warm. Sunday. No, no. One of the Sundays I was in Newport. We drove to Newport, Rhode Island. And we got there after a really long drive and we go and uh, are walking with the Chargers were playing the Patriots. So we got, got into a bar to kind of watch the end of the game. And it hit me. I'm like, it's almost 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. or yeah, it's almost 8 p.m. And the Sunday night game hasn't even started. <laughs> like, how is yeah. this a thing? Like, it's 8 p.m. And seeing as I mean, here's a, a peel behind the curtain with the fact that I'm old now and over 30. I don't really have an interest to like go out and party. So my wife and I were like done every night and back at the hotel by like nine or 10 PM, uh, ready to call it a night. And so I caught most ducks game throughout the entire trip, but it was miserable. Like I there were a couple games where like, if it was a boring game, I just went to bed <laughs> after the second period. Like, I think the first game so of the, the Arizona trip, game. <laughs> yeah. The Arizona game, uh definitely didn't stay awake to watch there was also an, i think it was the vegas game was one of the entertaining ones i was like yeah. i'm actually gonna stay up that to watch great, this i'm actually gonna game. stay up to past midnight to watch this but i'm like like kudos to everyone like um on the east coast who are ducks fans especially those like i think there was a oh, i'm spacing on his name right now um and i am uh, apologize greatly but there's a podcast listener uh, of ours uh, who is in our Twitch chat regularly that uh, is on the East Coast and said, "Yeah, tell me about it." And there's a couple of them. I think Jacob, uh, uh, I forget, I think his, I forget his Twitter handle. Um, and then also, also on the trip, shout out to Even Wilderwing. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. Or he yes. follows you. Turns out he was at the Flyers game that I was at, and he came over and said, "What's up?" Well, there you go. So CTP Nation taking the world show uh, meeting up. At, there was a CTP meetup at the Flyers game. See, now, Jake, I'm feeling bad that we have our, our podcast Monday nights live at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Well, <laughs> I mean, we really can't do it earlier. Well, yeah. And also, uh, I'm pretty sure over 90 percent of our listeners are on the West Coast of the mm -hmm. U.S. But shout out to everybody in the East Coast. If you do. Uh, yeah. Chris Kindred in our Chris Kindred in our Twitch chat right now said I live in Atlantic Canada and Ducks games generally start at 11 p.m. locally. Oh, that's so. That's Wait, just, so Atlantic Canada is that it's like an, it's it, an hour more? So is that like four, Halifax or yeah, like no? So okay, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. I was I was close to there. I was all, all the way far yeah. up in Maine, like legitimately two hours from there. Yeah, and and yet you refused to cross the border. So I did. I don't think the border was open to be crossed, to be honest. I don't know. Give it a try. I, I think I heard today that it's like opening this week to be crossed in a car. Just, you know, give it a try. <laughs> What's the worst <laughs> thing that can happen? You'll, you'll, you'll get, you'll get hijacked by Mounties. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much in a rental car. Don't don't really want that to happen. <laughs> okay, well, we are almost ten minutes in. Haven't barely have discussed. This is going to be a long episode. Well, I think I don't know. It, it it could be. It might not be. Last week went two hours. You know, we'll we'll shoot to get get under that this week. That that was a bit of a bit of a mammoth episode. But look, folks, here's the main topic for today. Uh, the Ducks are on a four game winning streak, and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about you know is this is this the Ducks turning the corner finally? Is this the team finding a, a new? Is this a, a new chapter in the Ducks rebuild? talk about Troy Terry, Max Contois, go over a bunch of different things. Before That's we right. do that, though, I know, Jake, you wanted to touch on this because mm-hmm. while you were away, Ryan Getzlaff set the franchise record, passing mm-hmm. Timo Solani mm-hmm. in all-time point scoring. What was your reaction to that, and now that you've had a bunch of time to, to digest it? So, now that I've had time to di- digest it, first off, um, what a brilliant pass by him to find Terry, and yeah. then just an absolute <laughs> amazing goal kind of a, a shame that John Ollers didn't realize that uh, Ryan Getzloff had the pass and kind of screwed up the the TV broadcast call Wait, of Ryan Getzloff. Are, are you telling me that you're the first person I've heard mention this? Really? You're the first person I've heard mention this, and I did. I noticed that as well. Yeah. But it's funny how no one at all pointed that out on Twitter. Like, how many times do you get the chance to call the record t- record-breaking point for the franchise and, like... I like he'll probably get the thousand points right, and that's also yeah. a big deal. But it's just like he like he screwed up the call, and it it, it wasn't until I think Brian Hayward mentioned it with Terry yeah, celebrating. It was kind of awkward. Like, yeah. yeah, and so uh, a shame there, but I mean it's not a big deal. But just I hadn't really heard anyone mention, it, so I briefly kind of wanted to mention it. Um, but it was a, a brilliant goal, brilliant pass, and I mean to be honest, I know you and CJ. I listened to the episode. And I know there was a bit of a discussion that it could be Tamu or it could be Getzloff. And, and, but to me, quite honestly, there isn't a discussion. To, to me, it's honestly a simple answer. It's a quick answer. It's Ryan Getzloff is the greatest duck of all time. It, it's a different conversation um, between, um, between the greatest player to ever wear the Ducks uniform because I think that that's a more interesting and different conversation than this. But if you're simply talking about the greatest duck of all time, I don't think there's a conversation that can really be had about it anymore because I think by the end of it, when all is said and done, Ryan Getzloff leads the team in points. He's going to be the first player to ever uh, play or hit a thousand points in a duck sweater. He's going to, he's played well over a thousand games. He's been the longest tenured captain in franchise history. He was also the captain of the team. And while granted they didn't win a cup, but it was the most successful period in in franchise history, if you look at playoff runs, division titles, longevity of success, there has never been that longevity of success in the Ducks history. Even when Scott Niedermeyer was captain, sure, they they won, definitely they won the Cups, so the peak was there, but they also had some lows and they missed the playoffs a couple times. Ryan Getzloff was there and I think it was, what, four or five straight division titles? And they still continue to make the playoffs? Like, that is the longest sustained period of success in franchise history. And so if it wasn't for Sidney Crosby, he would be considered one of the best centers in the game over that stretch. And basically if he played anywhere else, he would be considered that. And Troy Terry even said that, and it, it's so true. And so to me, there, there really isn't a debate about it. It's Ryan Getzoff. He's the greatest duck of all time. You could, I think Solani and Korea are definitely better players. And I think that that is a different conversation, but Ryan Getzoff is the greatest duck of all time. And I think that's the end of the story to me. People can have their opinions on this, but that's my view of it. 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk who had the which duck has had the best career as a duck, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty hard to make a case against Getzlaff because mm-hmm. Solani, very productive, maybe more dominant, you know, earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like like I said on the last pod, I'm if you if if that's your argument, I don't really see any flaws in that. Yeah, I, I think you can make a, a decent case for Solani, mm-hmm. but Getzlaff is very hard to yeah. topple. Yeah, so. and, and and I just to me there isn't necessary like the case for Solani is toppled by any sort of Getzlaff argument to me. Sure, and, and I, so and I, I think that's I think the that's, point. That's fine. I'm a little I'm a little uh, on the fence, a little agnostic to it. But if I'm 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 not hearing anything from you right now that's like oh that's so flawed that's so wrong yeah um. I think that especially because what what stains his record a little bit for Getzlaff in people's view is that what you're citing as a positive, the playoff runs, the the, the deep playoff runs, they see those, you know, the, the people that probably don't think Getzlaff is the greatest of a duck of all time, they see those deep playoff runs as failures, as the ducks, you know, should have should have gone further. You know what's kind of should have won the whole thing. You know what's kind of nuts when when talking about Ryan Getzloff is people will bring up playoff uh, failures. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize that he was more productive in the playoffs than he was over the course of his career from a point per game status. Oh yeah, I mean, one hundred twenty points in one hundred twenty five playoff games. Yeah, it's it's totally overblown. The you know the the the, the choker narrative with Getzloff and Perry. Like, uh, like, yeah. uh, like 120 points in 125 <laughs> games, like nearly a point per game over the course of his career in the playoffs. And real quick, hockey reference actually doesn't have his uh, playoff stats, right? I realized that because they have him over a point per game, but they're missing, I think the first two playoff runs he had. Hmm, um, interesting. Yeah. By the way, also real quick, Darko theory is asking, what is my hat tonight? Cause it's, it is a new one. It's uh from a little surf shop in Newport, Rhode Island had to, that's the type of souvenir gift that I like to get something that's I don't like the big name sweatshirts that wow. just say where you went. For me, I like kind of the this no, but teach their own. Like my mom Hater. loves those sweatshirts and got her one. But like I like these kind of more niche type things from from different it, cities. Just, that just say it. you're a hipster. You're a hipster. I mean, is it a hipster to say I got a hat from a surf shop in <laughs> a, a random city in New England? No, no, it's not very hipster at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so on Getzlaff, yeah. I, I don't think there's much more to, to say there. No. I did want to circle back to a point you made, though. And okay. this is this has been a... What's the word I'm looking for? A thorn in my paw? So some, some kind of... A pebble in my shoe, perhaps, the last week? So the Ducks have had a couple of games recently on ESPN+. And there's been a lot of pushback on Leah Hextall as a commentator. And I understand that people... Look, her tone is definitely different. A little mm-hmm. more, a little more laid back. You're not getting like it's not Doc. Emmerich. Oh, I know where you're going with this. It's probably the polar opposite of, of Doc Emmerich. But and that's the, the issue. But the amount of just vitriol that I've been seeing directed her way on Twitter. If you go look at the Ducks Instagram comments, people are just all over her. And like, I'm not sitting here t- saying that she's done this perfect job. That I think she's been, you know, like. 10 out of 10, you know, best commentator ever. I think she's been fine. I think she's, I have enjoyed her commentary, but why, you know, it's just interesting to me because l- people never say anything about so... Hayward Allers, for example. And, and again, this, and I just want to finish up the point mm-hmm. with Hayward and Allers. I'm not saying that they're 
they're bad at their job or that they're awful. It's just you never hear Ducks fans give them the level of criticism or just the the level of scrutiny that I've been seeing at least with Hextall. Um, so so, and I just think it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. Right. So and 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 to, and to your point that the biggest moment of the season, right? Just I mean, Allers flubbed it, and no one said a word. And 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 yet if. If uh, Leah Hextall calls Jonathan Bernier the wrong name, it's like the end of the world. And I just don't I don't understand the disparity in scrutiny. That's all. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think just to your point, I think it's a couple things. I think it's the fan syndrome, right? Yeah. John Allers, Brian Hayward, to some people, are their guys. And so they can do no wrong. Um, they're never going to do anything wrong in those, those people's eyes. And they're able to gloss it over. And then... Um, anyone who comes in that isn't simply there to talk about the Ducks is never going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And so with Leah Hextall being a neutral commentator, because that is what she is working for ESPN+, Plus, same thing with uh, Kevin Weeks, people are going to be more critical of that because of that. And so, yes, she has made some mistakes. Like I think there was uh, on Sunday's game, or no, on Friday's game, she was calling. It was like on a power play. Yeah. She, and now she was calling, I think, uh, Sam Steele, Isaac Lundestrom a yes, couple times on that. a power play. Yeah, and like, like three. It, well, the funny thing is it was Steele passing to Lundestrom. And she just called both Lundestrom. She just kept and calling so Lundestrom. So here's yeah. the one thing I'll give her on that. Weird is, camera angle. Well, it's not only weird camera angle, but yeah. she's, she's in building. And those jerseys from far away, I love those jerseys. The numbers are not easy to make out. Yeah. And so 23 and 21 are somewhat close. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's part of it. I think another big part is also obviously the, um, well, allers get the players wrong as well. Yeah. And so I, th- <laughs> I, I, I think that that's part of it. And so it's, it's flagging in people's minds because it's different and her, her tone and the way she calls games is different. And so I think it's flagging in people's mind. Um, I'm not defending that view because I think she's been perfectly fine. I think, I think having someone who's different is good. And I think having someone that can call a game differently is good because having the same sort of thing every single game is boring to me. Give me a different type of commentary. Make me learn or teach me things. And I've actually really, really enjoyed um, Kevin Weeks also. I think Kevin Weeks Weeks has been very good on the broadcasts. Oh, yeah. I I think that those two work perfectly together because, Mm -hmm. you know, Weeks has all of the, the knowledge, but he's a different voice in that he's not just, you know, your, your traditional hockey color commentator. That's going to just use the, Oh, they gotta, they gotta get more pucks on net. They, they gotta get in shooting lanes. Like he gives you a little more, I would say depth in his commentary. Yeah. And, and, and there's just, there, it's just a little more fun. Like his comment about, Oh, they need to bring back the, uh, the mighty ducks. Look, yeah. I mean, it's just stuff like that. Kevin and, Weeks is very inter- like I've absolutely loved him on NHL Network when I've had NHL Network, and I mean, Far Carlisle in our Twitch chat brings up the point that there are having some awkward pauses and non commentary on the ESPN broadcast, uh, but that's on kind of both of them and probably just a little bit of both uh, lack of chemistry slash. I think I don't think Kevin Weeks has really called games prior to this, and I don't know if Leah Hextall has done play by play that much prior to this either. Yeah, I mean, and for, so for, I think it's a com- learning. Yeah, for their complete lack of experience working together in this setting, they've been they've been pretty mm-hmm. damn good. I mean, we we do our watch alongs and it's really hard to like commentating on a game for a few hours is really hard. Oh yeah. Um and let alone eight, our watch alongs where you know a few people are watching. I mean, you've got the whole, you know, 
that you're on a, you're on a national broadcast there. Um, and I've also just on a side note with ESPN plus, I've really enjoyed the the studio commentary as well yeah. with Tortorella and they had Rick DiPietro on. Uh, but anyway, I, I just, again, this isn't to bash the, the, the Bally sports broadcast at all. It's just, I'm frustrated by seeing people being so critical of her every, every uttered word. And yet with allers specifically allers, you know, when, when he makes that kind of mistake, it just seems to go completely, you know, un, unnoticed. And yeah. that's ESPN just, plus by the way, absolutely great product being on the East coast. I was able to watch every ducks game seamlessly yep. and easily. It was yep. fantastic. Same on the West coast. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I was on the West coast. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thanks to the VPN, but, uh, Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to go on that little bit of a rant because, uh-huh. you know, that's that's what we do on the show. We rant. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into the actual Ducks. So the Ducks are in a four-game winning streak. And, you know, we're 13 games in the season. They're third in the Pacific Division. They're three points out of first. Now the Oilers have three games in hand. So it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a mirage there. But yeah. I guess just for you, though, and I'll, I'll give you some numbers. During this streak, they're 14th in the NHL. In Corsi four percentage, so they're above break even in shot attempt differential. There, fifty one point six seven percent, which is a really good, you know, progression for this team as a team that's always really struggled in that category yeah. to control play. To be even middle of the road, and this is something we talked about preseason, is a step forward. They're eighteenth in expected goals four percentage during this four game sample, so slightly below break even at forty nine point nine five. But even then, that's a big step forward for them as well. They've been really poor in that category. Um, what's funny is that if you if you look at their expected goals for per 60 versus expected goals against, so goals for, they're 26th, and then expected goals against, they're 11th. So they're not really getting it done because they're generating a ton of mm-hmm. offense at 5-on-5. Five five. They're actually limiting they're, offense I mean, against. a lot of it, the power play has been successful. Well, so this is this was what I was leading into with Let's the power play. Let's hear so it. Dur- during this streak, the power play has actually not been that good. Okay. In terms of how it's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The results have been excellent. It's so flipped if, from five on five, basically. So if you look at the power play during the streak, they're 26th in expected goals four per 60. So they are not generating a ton of mm-hmm. high-quality looks. They're 26th in unblocked shot attempts per 60. So they're bottom third, like way bottom third, in terms of just generating shots on net, quality shots on net per hour on the power play mm-hmm. and yet they're 10th in goals for per 60 and they're eighth in shooting percentage so they're just finishing at a very yeah. high rate and so it is a little bit of smoke and mirrors you know the, a little the bit production there but they're also i mean if you look at the goals that they're scoring on the power play they're finding ways to like when they convert those are high quality looks they're getting yeah. the pucks they're, they're getting the puck into the slot off of set plays you know you saw that with the milano goal um, against the against Arizona on Friday. So they're finding ways to get to those looks. I don't think that these stats in a four-game sample for the power play say, oh, it's just all smoke and mirrors because on the season, you know, the power play is is much better than that when you look at the the shot generation rates. I mean, they're 11th in expected goals for per 60 and 7th in unblocked shot attempts. So a lot of numbers, but all yeah. this to say that the Ducks have been have been decent during this stretch. Yes. And I, and so what's your reaction to all of that? So here's my reaction to all this. And, and, and I kind of put this briefly on Twitter. And, and this is kind of where I stand on it, is that overall, this is good to see. 
and this is what we've been clamoring for for a while. And we didn't even nece- we didn't necessarily see them put up numbers like this last year at all through extended stretches of time. No. That and so we would have wanted even against poor teams for this to happen, and we weren't seeing it last year. And so this year with I mean let's be real a forward group that is injured and they're yeah. missing some key players they've been able to to really put together some solid and strong five on five play um, and that's a very good sign and so I think that there are very a lot of really good positive steps and I mean I'm looking at um, looking at evolving hockey right now and against the Blues they put up a fifty three percent. Uh, 53% expected goals, 4%. Against the Coyotes, 57%. Against the Devils, not as great at 30, 38 But Montreal, 47%. So still pretty close to break even. Vegas, 49%. Buffalo, 49.7%. Winnipeg, 53%. So going back a, a decent amount of games, they've been close to break even in almost every single game, which is what we've been asking for, right? We've been asking for the process to improve, and the results might eventually follow. And that's even when they were on that, what, six-game losing streak right Mm -hmm. the process was looking better by the end of it and it was just a situation of when would the results turn yeah and and, yeah and so this is the one thing that i will say and i think that there's overall this is very very positive for this ducks team and this is what we've been asking for having said that i have seen some discussion over the last couple days and, and both uh putting it out there hoping that will happen but also just wondering is it is this the case? And people ask me if I think this is the case of well, if the Ducks are doing this and putting up these good numbers, what happens when Zegers, Raquel, Silverberg are back? Could they potentially push for a playoff spot? And so here is what uh, my view of all of that is: is that my concern right now is that while the process has been good in these games. If you look at the teams that the Ducks have played over this last little stretch, they're not exactly behemoths in terms of five-on-five play. Yeah, Vegas is actually bad at five-on-five. Vegas is the second-worst team in the league at five-on-five. And so if you look at the – there are only, uh, I think, three teams that the Ducks have played so far this season that are top ten in the league in expected goals four percentage at five-on-five, which essentially just means these are the top ten teams in the league at controlling play and generating chances and limiting chances against. And those are the Wild, the Flames – and the New Jersey Devils. And against each of those, they were not great. Uh, against the Wild, the first game of the against them, the second game of the season, 23.5 expected goals for a percentage. Against the Flames, 35.87 expected goals for a percentage. Second game against the Wild, 32% expected goals for a percentage. Against the Devils, 38 expected goals for a percentage. So against the teams that are good at generating chances and limiting them against, the Ducks have struggled. And so I guess the good news for them is that there are only three teams in the Western Conference in the top 10. <laughs> yeah. But how is this going to look when they start playing teams in that middle middle row, middle area, when they play Seattle, when they play LA, when they play San Jose, when they play these teams that are a little bit better than the teams they've been playing of late in terms of controlling play? And so that's going to be the real test for this team in terms of is this for real or is this a, a blip? Because they've been playing better of late, no doubt. And – I think that now this needs to be done against the better teams also, not just the teams that are right around them in a similar range at five on five. Well, I think to, to that point though, is it, 
I mean, you, you've got to factor in that, that they're going to get some reinforcements soon, you would imagine. So, Zegris, I mean, Zegris well, took but they, they had But they had those players for, yeah. for the games against the Wild. They had those yeah. players for the game against the Flame. And, and yeah, so, yeah. But if you look like more recently, I would say. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're, their results and their underlying numbers, you have to factor in that they are missing some of their better players. Def- so, definitely. So, in theory, these numbers could be even better during the during the winning streak potentially um, but I mean, but once again some, I, some of these lineups are just the second game against the wild though that was mm-hmm. that was pretty that was midway between the start of the season and now numbers mm-hmm. weren't great yeah and, and so i it's one of those things where sure it, it, it could happen but i think it is a situation where i need to see it to believe it type of deal mm-hmm. and, and so i think that that's the key aspect here having said all of that there is also some discussion that I've seen about, well, what should the Ducks do about their pending UFAs then? <laughs> yep. And I think this is an important conversation uh, to have. And I think that the Ducks really need to be smart about all of this. And I think first off, I don't think this little stretch is going to change any of their minds in terms of re-signing with no, the Ducks. And, and it's the fact that they're also, like you've already laid out, they're, they're beating some decent teams, but I mean, they beat Arizona three to one in in kind of a snooze fest yeah. on Friday. Um, so yeah, I mean, you we can go over each player and we can talk about. Well, this, I I think just really quickly, broadly, well, so for, well broadly, well, broadly speaking, there was all the talk from uh, the Ducks, and then Bomber even said it to to Eric Stevens that they're in a rebuild now, right? Yes, and and, and that's been the term. And one of the key aspects of um, a rebuild is that you need to stick to a plan yep. and you need to have a plan in place and stick to it. And this is really going to test that because if Bob Murray is committed to the rebuild, then you don't just make a sudden change based upon no. a 10 game sample size, 20 game sample size. You have your plan in place to get this team back into contention. And this is going to test, uh, if Bob Murray can talk, can walk the walk that he talked o- over summer. And if he is actually willing to stick to a plan or if he's just going to fly by the seat of his pants and make changes willy-nilly to that plan. And, and yeah. no, but I'm, I'm genuinely – like I'm not necessarily saying this as a critique. I'm saying this as I'm an interested, invested onlooker to see how it's going to go because this is this is a pivotal part of this franchise history. Um, and it, it's going to be important uh, long-term. And you're seeing, I think – the good news right now is you're seeing the signs of the prog- of progress for this Ducks franchise and how they're going to be able to have success moving forward. And I think part of that, though, is you need to move on from some of the older guys to uh, supplement these guys that are starting to push the play and, and add guys more in that age range. Add the guys in the Zegris' age range. Add the guys in the Terry's age range and, and make that work. I mean... I mean, not saying that this is a guy that the Ducks should necessarily go after, but someone mentioned in um, in my Twitter mentions today, I believe it was Jake Robles, um, mentioned uh, Travis Dermott, if the Ducks should be looking at him with the Leafs looking to move him, 24-year-old defenseman. Like, sure, like maybe look look at trying to pry him out of there for a Josh Manson if they're, if they're willing to do that. And uh, if they're looking to get a veteran defenseman instead of Travis Dermott. So who knows what what's going to happen there, but that's the type of move the Ducks should be looking to make, right? Yes, I mean the thing is, if the I mean if we take the Ducks their word that they are committed to this rebuild, 
then this winning streak shouldn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. It also it might it, it kind of makes it easier, I think, for them to rebuild because you can point to the fact that they're getting contributions from Troy Terry, Sam Steele is scoring goals, Isaac Lindestrom picking up a goal, um, you know, against the New Jersey on Tuesday. So they're getting contributions from the younger players and maybe even importantly for just the, the optics, they're doing it without a Ricard Raquel. And maybe that makes it easier to move on from him. And then if you're looking to flip some of these veterans on your roster, so, I mean, like Manson, maybe Lindholm, right? Even Henrique, like those guys are, I think they're boosting their trade values right now. Like they're all playing, they're all chipping in, in a way that you would think, okay, an an onlooker, an executive would think, hey, these are guys who can contribute to my roster. So I don't think that the Ducks are going to change Personally, I just don't think they're going to deviate from the rebuild. Agreed. Because of this four-game winning streak. No, I, I agree, but it's going to be interesting if this if this continues. If it continues, sure. I mean, but then again, you have to ask yourself if it continues, and they are playing convincingly well. Like everything is trending up. Mm-hmm. The the youngsters are playing better. At that point, you know, like let's say the Ducks creep into over like past fifteenth in all the shot-based metrics, right? Like, let's say the Ducks are just playing this really solid game and the team is, you know, the, the power play continues to click. Do, should should that start to change your mind a little bit, that maybe this is a team that's closer than they thought? No, it not. So it, it shouldn't for some players. Sure. But it shouldn't change your opinion on your pending UFAs. Well, that's the thing is that even if, so with this hypothetical I just proposed, even if the process is so sound, they're really pushing, they're beating decent teams, they're 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 pushing the good teams, you still don't want to have to re-sign your pending UFAs because that's going to totally hamstring your your long-term flexibility. It's going to make it harder to re-sign some of these RFAs down the line like Zegris, Drysdale, it's going to make it harder to give them their contracts. So I think regardless of what happens, there's just no real case to start re-signing guys to start trying to stock up the current roster. You got to stick to the plan. And it's pretty clear that the plan is a good one because that they are getting contributions from the younger players. The younger players are driving the bus right now. And so yeah. just feed those guys, help and, them out. And this next group of prospects looks really promising. Jacob Perot is starting to play well in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Sas- Sasha Pastyov, or Pastyov is absolutely tearing up <laughs> just destroying uh, destroying the CHL. You have Henry Thrun playing absolutely fantastic for Harvard. Um the, this next wave could be a really good one for the Ducks franchise. And so I think sticking to the plan is, is where it's at and um if you flip a Lindholm and maybe that in some ways negatively impacts your current roster to help you in the draft, you add a Shane Wright to this mix. This team could be in playoff situation next season. Like yeah, I'm genuinely, I genuinely, genuinely feel that way. Oh, bold, bold take. Well, mm-hmm. so, and I think with like with Lindholm, for example, yeah, it, it does hurt you in the short term. But the way that he's playing, I mean, he's he, all of his numbers are looking great this season. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be you. You look at what defensemen are signing for these days. What you can get back in a trade, like. The Seth Jones. I don't know if Seth Jones is a perfect comparable in terms of a trade. It's but, a pretty good comparable. <laughs> but the Ducks could really make out like bandits in, yeah. in this situation. So yeah, don't don't deviate from the plan. 
I yep. think every I think everything is going according to plan. I mean, this is what you want to see. If you're Bob Murray, you want to see signs of progress, which are both going to help the future and also help you maybe move on from some of these veterans by boosting their trade value. So, yep. A couple more topics I have for you. Um, uh, real quick, before mm-hmm. we get into that, though, we oh, should yeah. have a word from our sponsor. So you're a busy guy. So stop thinking about what to wear and just embrace the radically efficient Mack Weldon Daily Wear System. The Daily Wear System is a selection of clothes rooted in smart design made with performance fabrics and built to work together. From breathable t-shirts and polos to stylish button-ups and shorts, underwear and beyond, Mack Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, and play. So Felix, Mack Weldon's been a long-term sponsor of this show. And they've been kind enough to send us a wide range of, of various different things. Tell me about some of your favorite items from Mack Weldon, because I have some, you have some, we've talked about it in depth, but as it's starting to get colder, I think I know where you're going to go with this. So I'm just going to tee you up for it. What's your favorite Mack Weldon product? <laughs> well, so yeah, it is getting colder. The The days are getting shorter. It's getting, it's getting darker earlier. It's, it's sweatpants season and specifically the ACE sweatpant from Mack Weldon. So this has been by far my favorite product from them since they started supporting our show. Just the most comfortable material. It's and it, it's got a nice fit to it. It's not like a baggy sweatpant that you're used to. You can. It's wear, very slimming. Yeah, you can wear this out, and you you don't look like you just rolled out of bed, which is usually the case. When I'm wearing these. Um, you can go on a walk with them. You can be pretty active in them as well. They don't get too hot. So I highly highly recommend those. I've been a huge fan. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. They're my go-to sweats. Wore them on the plane. Absolutely best thing that you could get. Also <laughs> ended up wearing on, for one direction. Other way I, I wore the I believe it was the Sunday Lazy uh Lazy Pant. Um I, I believe I'll I'll need to look up the the name of it, but um yeah, the, really the great pant. The, the lounge pant. There we go. The lounge pant. Lounge pant. And that is nice and that looks even nicer than the radius uh or the the ace sweat pant. Um, and so it can really feels nice, feels comfy, feels like a sweat, but looks really nice. Actually would not know that it was a sweatpant and their underwear is obviously fantastic. Socks are great. Basically everything from Mack Weldon that I've ever gotten is top notch, top quality. Absolutely great product. Cannot recommend it enough to all of you. So, I mean, like, like you said, the ACE sweatpant, go get it. Like you're going to be comfy. You're going to look great in it and you're going to have a good time. Yes. So, uh, you can, uh, buy some time or buy some time with Mac Weldon's daily wear system for 20% off your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com slash CTP and enter, enter promo code CTP. That's MacWeldon.com slash CTP promo code CTP for 20% off Mac Weldon radically efficient wardrobing. Yep, go check them out, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will thank us later. So, let's uh, let's talk about Troy Terry. Yes, please. A regular subject on this show, but we we just cannot not talk about him. It, it's it, it, he is making himself. Uh, I mean, to I just, to to quote uh, uh, Cody Rhodes promo, he has gone from undesirable to unfreaking deniable. Exactly, that's the exact word I was looking for. He has been undeniable this season. 11 game point streak dominant in all three zones getting it done in every which way i just where do you where do you start with this jake um troy terry is very good that that (laughs) that is where i start with it no here's where i'm at with it so a few things here 
he has definitely improved this year. Um, there, there's no doubt about it. He's improved in terms of his ability to generate offense. His defense is similar. Um, one of the biggest things that we've seen from him is the finishing ability and some of that is shooting percentage driven. And some of that might be, he talks about his confidence. Uh, I think when you're confident, maybe you start shooting the puck a bit better. That's where maybe you see the finishing talent come into play. And, uh, and so that's where potentially the shooting percentage comes up, but he's shooting 32% right now. That's not necessarily going to continue. But having said that, I believe the on ice shooting percentage, I'm trying to look it up right now for him, um, is relatively low. Yeah, only at 13.5% for on ice shooting percentage. So even if his shooting percentage comes down, more likely than not, the guys on the ice with him will end up putting the puck in the net more. So it's not as if this point total is necessarily a mirage, but his goal scoring might be a bit. Eight goals is maybe a bit high. Maybe that should be a little bit lower, but the point totals is are probably where it should be. I mean, if you were to tell me he would have 14 points in 12 games, I would have been excited, but I would not have thought it would necessarily happen. Um, but he's been this good for a couple years now and has been vastly underrated by a large portion of the fan base, vastly underrated by the coaching staff. And while, yes, he has improved, the biggest change in his game has been the fact that he's gotten more ice time and been put in a situation with better players. Mm-hmm. And instead of being necessarily cha- instead of being chastised at any sort of chance chance that you get, he's scored goals, which has uh, forced the coaching staff's hand to play him more. And, and so, in some ways, it it's great, but it's also infuriating. Where if this let's just say he was playing the same exact way and the puck just wasn't going in for him in the fashion it is, he might end up being in Comtois. Uh, spot and no we will and, and be getting scratched uh throughout the course of the season and, and so that's kind of what's frustrating to me is that well yes the point totals are obviously awesome and it's great because essentially all the point totals are is it's a reward in a way for how he's been playing and how he's been playing for multiple seasons now and so i'm really happy for him because he deserves this because he's been put through a lot by this coaching staff by this franchise and it's nice to see him finally reap the benefits of his play because while yes, he's been, he he's improved. It's not been this drastic improvement. Like some people want you to think. Well, yeah. So that's the big question is what has changed? What's different about his game now than it was a year ago. And if you listen to his comments, even, and you listen to the coaching staff's comments, you're led to believe that he's made this drastic change in his mental approach to the game he said that which is possible yeah which i mean is totally and totally valid right i just want to throw that out there that 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 not discounting that but discounting that at all but i so he used you know he he actually had a pretty long comment about this where he said that you know he used to beat himself up if he'd have a good day or a bad day sorry Mm -hmm. and just be on cloud nine if he had a good day it was all just kind of based on the outcome right whereas now he kind of just shows up and just rides the wave just has fun Right, more about the process than the result, and I think that that's a really healthy mentality. Yep. And I'm ha- and I'm happy to hear that he's done that. And Dallas Aikens has gone into great detail about how, you know, Terry used to really kind of psych himself out, overthink things. But I think he's kind of been made to overthink things a little yep. bit. Yep. <laughs> I yep. mean, I, I, like the way he was playing last year did not warrant him getting scratched, him getting benched. Like I feel like they kind of got in his head a little what? bit. Maybe he's maybe he has just a tendency for that anyway, a preclusion for that. 
but well, when I, you're putting I, in a position to fail as compared to positions to succeed, you're gonna second guess every single move that you make, and, exactly. and, and second guess everything that you do. And when you're scratched after kind of after still playing well, like I mean, think about what Sonny Milano ha- has had to deal with this season. Yeah. It's very similar. Sonny Milano came in, played one great game, and got scratched and sent back down to the AHL. And it's like, what's going on here? Like yep. this guy deserves to play. It's a very similar thing what Terry dealt with last year, and so it, it's frustrating in one sense the fact that it took production for him to be able to get this praise, but that's kind of how it works because production is the end result that everyone's looking for. But it's frustrating that the process that he had was not necessarily being rewarded in the set in the way that it should have been. Because I think one of the reasons why he's been put been producing is he's gotten more ice time. And so Mm -hmm. when you're playing well and you get more ice time, what do you know? Pucks go in the back of the net. Like yeah. it, it's, it's not that shocking. And the one thing that I will say on him, it, he, it's funny. You and I have talked about this at, at length. He still should be played more. Like the yeah. fact that he's not on the penalty kill is shocking to me. And I mean, you saw it. It's funny. You saw it in the game on Sunday. He was actually out there for the six on five situation and he broke up a zone entry by uh, against and was able to get the puck and chip it out down to the other, uh, other end. And that type of little play really makes a difference. You're stopping a zone entry and stopping the other team from being able to get into your zone. People want to harp on faceoffs in late game situations and how critical they are. But I'd rather have a guy out there that can strip the puck out on a zone entry and suppress that zone entry than a guy that can just win a faceoff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that if you, like, if, because if you dig into his numbers this season, I mean, yeah, there are some things that have changed that that you can see, okay, his process has changed a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. if you compare his shot attempts per 60 this year, he's at 14.02, last year 10.97. So shooting the puck a little bit more. Mm-hmm. His individual expected goals per 60 has gone up from 0.64 to 1.19, which is a huge jump, actually, which tells me that he's probably, you know, he's getting more dangerous shots. You know, the, the additional volume and the fact that they're slightly more dangerous, that's bringing that up. Um, but, like, just shots shots on goal per 60 he's gone from 5.8 to 7.6 it's it's not these dramatic jumps in terms of the volume stats and so i i tend to agree with your your position which is just that he's getting to play more and 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 that's really kind of it and i think that sure there are things in his game that that you can tell have gotten a little better like his skill work i mean some of these goals he's scoring i mean just undressing yeah. defensemen dancing around goalies i mean stuff that you saw from him last year by the way but you can tell that he's gotten even more comfortable. Well, it's, that... it's stuff that you saw from him in the AHL also. Exactly. So so his skill level, he's found a way to bring that to the NHL. I think it's always been there, but he's just gotten better at doing it. On and a and that, might be, that might be that confidence thing is being able to do it more consistently. Exactly. But even if you took that away and he was just the player he was last year, he would still be a very effective player. Well, especially at his cap hit. Like, let's just yeah. say he was a 40-point player. And because he's on pace to be a 60, 70 point player this year. Yeah. Um, Well, more than that with his current pace, but I would say he'll probably end up in that range if he kind of keeps this up. But it's, it's very refreshing as both you and I have been on the Troy Terry bandwagon for me years now, you also years now. And I believe it was even last year. You had said he was the the person going into season that was ripe to have a uh, a breakout season out of, out of the kids when everyone was looking at the Comtois, the Steels, those types yep. of players. You had said that Troy Terry's most likely if you look at his underlying metrics, and I think it's it's nice to to see in some ways our fate. I don't know if it's faith 
our understanding of numbers maybe or things like that in the process yeah. to see that rewarded in actual results. And, yeah. and and I think that that's a bit rewarding on our end to see. And I think for us to have seen a player that's done everything right and get crapped on for it, to see him get rewarded for that. Yeah, because I've, I've, you know, like, our, our old friend at Anaheim calling Benny replied to my, my tweet where I said, you know, everyone was laughably wrong about Troy Terry and I'm here for it. I said something like that. And he replied, well, you know, pump the brakes on this, the, the victory lap, you know, it, let's see when he's not shooting, whatever he's shooting 30% or whatever. And I think even if that dries up, which it inevitably will, he's not going to continue the shooting pace. He's I think there's still cause for celebration. He's still been very effective. He's been at worst the Ducks second third I mean, best player. He currently if you combine last season and this season to get a 60 game sample size, he's in the 88th percentile in terms of war. Yeah. Like <laughs> and, and like if we're just purely like even discounting finishing cuz his finishing has taken a huge step. He's now in the 82nd percentile yeah. going from the 43rd. So in a 12-game sample going from 43 to 82nd, that's huge. But so even if we're just purely looking at even strength offense and defense, he's currently at 68% or 68th percentile in uh, generating even strength offense and 97th percentile in even strength defense. Like, I don't know if we talk enough about how good Troy Terry is defensively. Like, oh yeah, he like we we you and I talk about it a significant amount, and we still don't but, talk but, about but it. But that's enough. not the rap he gets from the you know well, kind of yeah. the more traditional media. It, it's that he's he's this offensive guy that he's putting up points. The reason why he's always in a position to be able to pick up points is because he's just so good at keeping it out of his end. He's he's never defending because he strips pucks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we were talking about it before we started recording, like the penalty differential. He's drawing a ton of penalties. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think he's taken one. Wasn't there a game where he drew like four penalties? I feel like that happened yes. this season. I can't remember who it was against. Yeah. I mean, he's just been a monster. And, you know, I really am just hoping that once the if the points do stop rolling in at the rate that they are, which, you know, is probably going to happen at some point uh, that the coaching staff doesn't just kind of turn on him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like it's it's just it, it's proven now that he's a top six player on this team, um, and yeah, he has two minor penalties this season in twelve. Yeah, so actually, per evolving hockey on ice shooting percentage right now for Troy Terry, eight point two six percent at five yeah. on five. Like it's not like obscenely like high from an on ice perspective. It's his finishing that's that's yeah kind of just going crazy right but now. But his finishing will come down, but in that same breath, Ryan Getzloff's finishing will probably go up at five on five. Well and and whoever yeah. they have is the third person on that line. I mean Adam Henrique's there now. Adam Henrique is probably gonna finish the buck more. Yeah. Like ex- exactly. So there's actually more room for improvement for like his assist total. Correct. Um so that that may balance it all out. I mean if I were to ask you right now, uh you know where Troy Terry is going to finish point wise this season. I mean, what's your what's your handicap at? Based upon his current point total, because he's already at fourteen points, I would probably say sixty points. Yeah, I mean that's crazy to think about. It it is crazy to think about coming into the season. Yeah, but he's almost like he's almost at twenty points right now. Yeah, like he probably will hit the twenty point mark potentially around the twenty game mark if he continue like. I don't think he's going to stay a point per game for like keep up the streak. Like it's just probably not going to keep going. But mm-hmm. if he hits 20 game, 20 games with 20 points, I mean <laughs> to put up 40 points in the follow the following 60 games. Like, I think that's a reasonable assumption for him at, at that point in time. I, I think you can easily pencil him for 40, 40 to 50 points though, at least. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an easy, easy assumption. 
Yeah, I mean, the only other Ducks who have done at least a 10-game point streak, so Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Timu Solani, Andy McDonald, Paul Correa. So he's in some pretty... Pretty, pretty nice company there. You know what's funny? I was thinking about it. I didn't watch a ton of Andy McDonald play, mm-hmm. but I feel like there are some similarities with Terry and McDonald's play styles. Yeah, I'm curious uh, if we were to go back and I'm... Does, doesn't does Fresh have historical hockey yes. cards? Let me yeah. take a... I'm curious how he profiled out from a defensive perspective because from what I recall, I don't remember Andy McDonald being that great defensively. Yeah. But I also was pretty young when that happened, so <laughs> I'm not quite sure um, how that uh, actually would have come out. I don't know if I have that play... Oh, classic player card. Let's see very quickly if I can get this up as we're going. Um, so, uh, so actually, so I have it up. So in okay. the... In 2000, so this is looking at the 2008 season. So this would have been the year after the cup win. McDonald's even strength. He was offense, traded that year, though. Yeah. Well, he was, but he was at 89th percentile defensively as a forward and 79th percentile in terms of penalty differential. So kind of similar. I don't know. It was just a thought. Um, yeah. But yeah. So anyway, Troy Terry's been very good. Um, we were right about him. Yep. Taking our <laughs> victory lap right yeah, now. Th- this is a victory lap. Let's uh, look at the other end of the spectrum. You already brought him up. Max Coltois. I mean, he he's in the doghouse. There's just no other way to say it. he is firmly in the doghouse, getting fourth line duties, getting scratched. It's just been kind of ugly for him this season. So what's your, what's your takeaway? Is, is he just bad all of a sudden? So I've got some numbers for you. So at five on five this year, purely looking at five on five, his – Individual numbers are comparing it to last year. So this season, individually, he's shooting the puck 10.62 shots, uh, shot attempts per game and 0.71 individual expected goals per game. Last year, 12.19 individual shot attempts per, or this is per 60, not per game, sorry, and 0.84 individual expected goals per 60. So a little bit better last year in terms of individual generation, but not a huge difference, right? We're talking... Uh, over the course of a 60 minutes of ice time, point, uh, 0.13 individual expected goals and about one or two shot attempts, something in that range. And then at five on five, it's not as if it's been that different. He's actually been better at five on five uh, in terms of on ice metrics. Expected goals, four percentage at 47.65 last year, 49.7 this year. Where uh, and then individual expected goals four per sixty last season two point three six individual expected or not individual sorry expected goals for on ice per sixty two point three six expected goals against per sixty two point five nine expected goals for per sixty this year two point six two expected goals against two point six five all of this to kind of essentially say on ice individually there really isn't a big difference between this year and last year no. outside of if you look at goals for and per sixty and goals against per sixty. Goals for, so actual pure goals for per 60, 2.68 last year. Goals against per 60, 2.34 last year. Whereas this year, 1.064, 4.19 against. Yeah. <laughs> so there's your difference, folks. And I've had a lot of people kind of get into my mentions on this, including our good friend Tony. Uh, love him, but I, I think people are in some ways miss, I think, m- confusing what i'm saying here well they're overreacting to a small sample not only so not only that i think that that's obviously part of it yeah but (laughs) i i think another big part of it is that i think some people are saying that he's not 
putting in the effort this year. He's not doing all these different types of things. It's like they didn't that, watch him last year. But that's my point is that I feel like people forget how he was last year. And I think that that is I, what's frustrating to me here is that I don't think either you or I have defended how he's played this year. Cause I don't think either of us think he's been that good this year. He's been, he's been fine, but he's had his issues this year and he needs to shoot the puck more this year and he needs to increase his volume. There's a whole lot that he can improve on this, this season from last season. The, if the, the issue here is that the argument of him being worse this season than last year is disingenuous because it's, I think, misconstruing how he played last year based upon the final results of the goal total and the point total and forgetting how he actually was playing at five on five. And so the actual play was similar to this, which there are inherent inherent issues with, but to say that he's worse this year is missing the point completely. Oh yeah. I, I mean, again, it's like all of the, all of the kind of after the fact analysis of, Oh, he's, he's looking He's looking lazier, you know, like Dallas Higgins even saying, we, we want him better outside of the slot. He works so hard in the slot, but he's got to be better everywhere. It's like, this has been true for a long time in Max Contois. I mean, yeah. if you watch how he played last year, he's not this polished player at five on five. There's some, no, like, there's, there's a lot of defensive flaws. There's a lot of structural flaws in his game, even like his skating stride. I mean, this is stuff that's always been there with him. And last year, to his credit, he was playing, you know, he was producing. He was getting to the front of the net. He was finishing off his chances. And he made it so that, you know, like he made himself undeniable to the coaching staff, like Troy Terry's doing now. The thing is that, and I think for the coaching staff, they just kind of, they were willing to overlook the rest of his game because I'm sure they weren't blind to, to what was happening, but they were willing to overlook it because he was producing and they weren't willing to sacrifice the production that he gave them night in and night out versus, you know, maybe trying to teach him a lesson about uh, his play, his play style. And so fast forward to this season, the production has dried up completely that he's been caved in uh, when he's been on the ice. And so there's just nothing there. There's nothing to support him anymore in the coaching staff's eyes. Right. And now you're running into a risk where you're not, you know, not only are you not, playing him at times you're I mean he's getting benched late in games he's getting scratched but you're also at you're you're running the risk of like diminishing returns you know yeah taking taking him completely out of the top six playing Nick Delorier in the top six over him which is just laughable right so it's like where is this really headed with Max Contois I mean we've we've talked about this while you were gone but he is waiver exempt and at what point I mean do you see him going down to San Diego it feels like all of that is in play right now I think I was the first person to text you about that, that I do about him potentially going down that that he is one of the few waiver exempt people on this roster. And with this being the case, what are the chances he ends up in San Diego? And I mean, here's my view of all this is I don't know if they'll do that. Just based on the the, the recent games. Oh, I could see them doing it. When when everyone's healthy, I could see him doing it. Well, when, when Raquel Zegris and uh, Silverberg are back, then then we'll yeah. talk, I guess. Yeah. But um so here here's kind of where I'm at with it though is that if I and I put this on Twitter I think last week at some point in time. But if I had a a, a phone line to Dallas Agins here and, and I could could give him a, just some advice, I think. Um <laughs> for uh for how to deal with Max Comtois. I would try to tell him patience is a virtue with a guy like this. Put him in positions to succeed. 
the results aren't there yet, but stop punishing him for it. Like, what benefit are you getting from playing Nick Delorier with Ryan Getzloff and Troy Terry well, or Nick problem. Delorier with Trevor Zegras? Like, the, the issue here is that Max Col- like, the inherent issue is that putting Max Comtois with Bo Gru and if it's Nick Delorier, if it's Sam Carrick, insert whoever it is, um, Putting him with those players is not going to get the best out of him because his game is not suited to play with those players. He's not good defensively. He's not good in his own zone. He needs to have someone that can get him in the pocket in a spot where he can take advantage of essentially his biggest attribute, which is having a good shot and an accurate shot. And playing him with those guys is just not going to do it. So why wouldn't you put him back with Getzloff? And especially with the way that Getzloff and Terry have been going, like how many games did Comtois get with Terry on this point streak oh I mean it's probably like probably two or three yeah like and so maybe, yeah. It, it like do you not think he would have had a point by now if he would have been on that line for a longer period of time I mean he he just flat out needs someone to insulate him at five on five yeah he's, and, and he's not going to turn into this well, this five on five beast playing on the fourth line he's just and, not and that's also why uh that's also why I think that putting him with Getzloff and, and Terry was such a good idea because it insulated him well in terms of a five-on-five defensive issue. He he didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, I, I just think that we're at this weird point now where it's kind of like the cat's out of the bag with Max Contois. This is something that I've been saying, that we've been both been saying for a couple of years now. Like he, especially last season, th- that he is just really flawed as a player. And I don't want to get on this train of Max Contois is bad, but Max Contois is a very particular type of player. He does one thing really, really well and showed a little progress last season in terms of generating offense for his team, but is just such a negative defensively that he kind of takes all of that value back off the table. And now that the points are gone, it's just kind of been laid all very bare. And I don't know, like, if you're the Ducks, you know, what do you... What do you do with him moving forward? I think that you got to get him back on the right track. And I think the only way to do that is to play with guys who can cover him up a bit, get him with guys where he can finish a few chances, but long, longer term, like, is he really a guy that you feel is a core piece, you know, cause because of all the flaws I talked about, like maybe he grows into it, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he, that he snaps this funk and, and maybe he becomes this, uh, you know, solid contributor at five on five. Personally, I don't know if I see it just because this is something we've talked about. He makes a lot of mental errors on the ice. Like there's there's a lot of just like misreads, horrible passes, turnovers to just, you know, like transitioning the puck up ice. And I don't know how like that's going to get better, but I don't know how much better. And if you're the Ducks, maybe get him back on a line with Zegris or, or Getzloff, get him producing and then maybe try to sell high. I mean, yeah. I, is that is that too is that too heartless? No, <laughs> no. I think I think it's a fine idea. Yeah, no issues it, there. But I I I just he's not going to be he's not going to become a grinder. Like I, it's just not. I'm happen. just sick of this revisionist history. I think about how he played last year. Oh yeah, because this is like you said, it, the, everything shows that it was about the same, and. I mean, the, the, it's just so painful to like, watch. It, like, it's not It's not necessarily that I think you or I think he's been great this year, but I think there are better ways to optimize his play. But I think that the argument about him not playing well this year or not being uh, physical enough, not caring, yeah. it's like it, it, it's like missing how he was last year. And it's like yeah. it, it's, it was the it's, same thing. 
Yeah, it, it's letting the the fact that the puck went in the back of the net gloss over how he played. It, yeah. And so I, I think, yeah, that and Dalton Keys brings up a point. Has Comtois been on a Zegras line at any point this season? I don't nope. believe so. And, no, and so I mean, that I mean that's another thing is like he wasn't the preseason. With, yeah. And, and Aikens Aikens said that he hated how they looked defensively because they were giving up too many goals. And it's like, yeah, I mean, welcome to the Coltwalk. It's also preseason. Yeah, exactly. Maybe like, don't buy into it too much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and so it's just painful to watch because when he's on the fourth line, you like you he you can tell he's trying to do things differently. He's trying harder. He's he's landing some. He he's finishing his checks right. He gets in on the four check. The puck is already way out of the zone, and he just comes in for that little hit. Um, and like that's kind of it that he does differently when he's on when he's on the fourth line or when he's out of that top mm-hmm. six mix. And it's like I just don't think that he's that they're either he's taking away the right lessons or they're giving him the right lessons right now. Because if the takeaway is just finish some more checks, be a little more physical, th- that's just not really going to be what turns it around for him. Like, well, he's I, just, he's just got to make better reads. I mean, the lesson that they're trying to give him is to to learn from from good old uh, Nick Delorier out <laughs> and, there. And Bo grew. <laughs> <laughs> veteran NHL like we'll give credit where it's due the fourth line I think was finally good last night for the first time yeah they were great this season they maybe? were their best line <laughs> um yeah but like Bogru has not been great this year like he's been bad hey oh. show some respect to his first NHL goal coming in an empty net yeah I mean good good for him but yeah he's he's not been great um so yeah um anyway we'll, we'll see where it goes with Max Contois yeah, so I, I think overall, big picture, nothing's different for Comtois this year or last year. It's kind of funny because it, it's the same, like Troy Terry and, and Max Comtois are two two sides of the same coin. Oh, Max like, Comtois is getting Troy Terryed from last year. Well, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like both of them are the same player pretty much, except one is getting all of the shooting luck and the other one is not getting any of it. Yeah, and, as in, as in has, they're the same exact player between the two seasons, pretty exactly. much. Exactly, and, and that has completely tilted the scales uh, in terms of in terms of their favorability. It, it's almost like staff. in a small sample size, looking at Sh- goals for happen. and shooting percentage isn't the best way to evaluate players. No, it's not. I mean, maybe it's working out right now. They're on a four game winning streak, and yeah. like like we laid out in the beginning, it's definitely not all smoke and mirrors. And it might continue because they're playing the Canucks tomorrow, I believe. The Canucks are not good. No, no. So, yeah, I don't know. Seattle will be – I'm actually excited to see them play Seattle because Seattle is a team that is good at 5-on-5. Yeah. And and they do a good job of controlling play, and I think that that will be an interesting matchup to see how they play, especially because I think by Seattle, Jacob Silverberg should be back. Ten days. Ten days. And when was he – was he put on COVID protocol the 30th? It was was either the 30th or the 31st. Yeah, it's one of the two. I think it's the thirtieth, but I would have to to triple check that. Regardless, should be, I mean, hopefully back soon. T- t- Ten days is the earliest he can come back. We should true. Say. So so uh, we'll see. And then yeah. Silverberg a little bit longer, and hopefully Zegers. I mean, did you see the whole thing that Zegers took warmups? I guess yesterday. Yeah, and he practiced today, so he must be close. I mean, I I don't think he should have come back against Montreal after that hit. Probably um, not. Well, he came back. He came back against Montreal, and then played the next game against the Devils, and got slew footed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's really unfortunate how this is kind of going for him. And I'm, I think, being as cautious as possible is the way to go right now. Yep. Because there's no sense in rushing him back. I mean, despite the team playing well and everything, it's just there's a longer game here with Trevor Zegers that you got to respect. Um, yeah. By the way, the 
Didn't realize this. The Ducks play the Canucks twice this week. Wow. So, it, it's it's honestly wild. So I think the last podcast I was on was like the opening, the post opening week podcast. Yeah. I think it was just after like the first couple games. It's kind of wild to think that the Ducks aren't going to be playing the Jets at any point again this season. I mean, I'm fine with that. No, I agree. It's just like kind of crazy to think about that they've already played the Jets yeah. all of the all of the the times. Get uh, it out of over, the way. Yeah. So excited. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, oh, we should actually. This is something we haven't talked about, and uh, I don't know oh. if this is on your list. I know. Yeah, I'm actually my list is done now. Well, I've got I've got nothing left. Well, I the final thing that we should talk about is Jack Eichel is not an Anaheim Duck. Uh, well, that was true a week ago as well. Two well, weeks ago. Jack Eichel is not an Anaheim Duck and is not a it Buffalo not Sabre. <laughs> yeah, Jack Eichel will not be an Anaheim. Jack duck. Eichel is a Vegas Golden Knight. Um, yeah. Want my thoughts on it, or you want to go first? Uh. I mean, let's hear what you have to say. You've been out. You've been on the shelf. First thoughts, really happy for Jack Eichel. Not even from a competitive standpoint, just from the pure perspective of happy for him. He has had a situation where he has needed surgery for, what, probably about six months now. Maybe give or take a little bit there. Um, but something in that range and has been denied the ability to, to get the surgery that he wants for the, his long-term health that he views as the best option after what it sounds like doing a vast amount of research, getting multiple opinions and figuring out what is the best course of action for him and his health is at his current age and long-term health well past when he's done playing hockey. And I'm happy for the fact that he can now get the surgery he wants and finally be out of the pain that he's in and get better and and so i think that first and foremost that's the the biggest takeaway here is that he was done a huge disservice here if i was jack eichel i would be absolutely pissed and legitimately angry at the buffalo sabers for a long time for forcing me to sit in pain for six months and not allowing me to get the surgery i want to uh have it done in time for me to play in the olympics like if i'm him i'm really mad about that because who knows how many olympics he's gonna have and so there's a lot here and I think first and foremost, I'm just happy for Eichel and, and happy that overall in the NHL, we can now move past this and get Eichel back in the game soon. It, hopefully the, the timetable is three months, yeah, and, three months. And, and so hopefully get him back in the game because when he's on his game, he's a top five, top 10, maybe top five player in this league. And the game is better to have minute than not have a minute. And so yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that's first and foremost where I'm at. Kind of now backing off of that a little bit. Um Vegas absolutely stole him from Buffalo. Like yeah, th- I think this so. is an awful deal for for the Sa- like this is the deal like the supposedly the Sabres were like waiting because they were only gonna Vegas was supposedly only offering one of Krebs or Tuck and instead the like that fo- phony Calgary deal that leaked was to potentially push them over the edge to give them both. And it's like, okay, so you got Peyton Krebs, who is like, I was looking at uh, hockey prospecting. He's like a 72% NHLer, but 10% star. Yeah. So he's like, he's like a middle six center. He, he, basically. he profiles as like a really good two way to middle. Shape. Like he's probably Adam Henrique. Yeah. I mean, it's just all, a lot of the commentary on him is about how great he is defensively and how responsible he is. Yeah. It's like, well, 
that's not and, really what I want back if I'm trading. No, and, and it's funny how over summer the conversation around him, like put him in the same conversation as like Zegers and Drysdale. It's like, no, he's a different tier of prospect. He's not oh, yeah. in the same in the same conversation. So the fact that they got a prospect of that level and Alex Tuck, who I mean, granted, Tuck wants to go there supposedly, but good. I mean, he's, he's a he's, he's a fine player, but it's yeah. not as if he's like a franchise altering player. And then they got a top like. How did Vegas get a top 10 protected pick? Like that's the part of it that I just cannot understand. Like how... there's no way that Vegas is bad next year. Like there's a potential that they could miss the playoffs this year based upon their injuries. Yeah, they've been terrible and, and, this year. And, and that's why good on, on Kelly McCrimmon, McCrimmon for getting a top 10 protection on this pick. Like it's so like beyond like insanely smart on his front. So like, I think that the deal from the sense of looking at it is so incredibly favored towards Vegas. Like, sure. There is the risk that they're taking on him coming back and being the same player that he is. But even if he's like 75% of the player that he was, they still win this deal easily, like in a landslide to me. Um, Because Peyton Krebs is like 50% maybe of Jack Eichel at his peak. And and so if they're getting a 70, uh, 75% of Jack Eichel in his prime during their contending window, this is an easy win. So yeah, my, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think the most troubling part for me, look, reading the reports is just that it sounds like Buffalo really wanted Peyton Krebs. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's who they were targeting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, again, I, I think their two scouts were focusing on him. Krebs is a good prospect. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just, when you're getting put in a deal for like, if I'm trading Jack Eichel, I I want something back. That's going to be a a premium asset. And I don't feel bad. I feel bad for Krebs. Well, now there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. Exactly. Like he's always going to be, have to live up to, to the, he was the guy that was the centerpiece of the Eichel tree. I I feel like a lot of Sabres fans probably soured on Eichel though. With through all, he's still the centerpiece of an Eichel, like a number two overall pick. Well, the, the main question is just from a, Ducks perspective. Yeah, bringing it back in. Did they did, did the Ducks miss out here? So I I think there's three different interesting points of conversation from the Ducks perspective here. Three? So I think wow. yes, three specific. First off, from a not from a neutral perspective, the duck or as in neutral in the sense of not knowing what Kevin Adams was looking for, and just purely our own perspective of prospects, the Ducks could have very easily beat that deal with. Yes. With a, a deal centered around Mason McTavish, a top 10 protected uh, uh, first uh, uh, first round pick, and let's just go with Comtois Terry. But there is a critical piece of information for the Ducks, though, which I feel like we should mention right Yes, on. yes, but real quick, getting the, get, I'll get there. But okay. Um, okay. the second kind of point of view on this is from the perspective of, well, that's great, and that's our opinion on these prospects. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is Kevin Adams' opinion and his scouts' opinion. And if they viewed Peyton Krebs in the same level as Zegras and Drysdale, which maybe well, I don't it sounds... think they did. I don't think they did. I think Zegras and well, Drysdale were not available. Yes, but if they viewed essentially, if they viewed Peyton Krebs as in that range, though, not at the sure. same level, but in that sure. range, then 
maybe you and I disagree in the or disagree and the Ducks could have put together a deal better than that. But if they had keyed in on Krebs as a guy that they wanted, mm-hmm. then the Ducks couldn't necessarily meet that from the perspective of what the Sabres wanted because the Sabres wanted the best prospect and they got that from Vegas. And so I think that that's an aspect of it of we can view it from what we think the deal would have been. But at the end of the day, what matters is how did Buffalo view these players? Cause they're the ones making the deal, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Buffalo is hoping that this turns into like a Nick Suzuki trade situation. Yes. Where and Krebs just flourishes in Buffalo. And the third perspective, which I think is the most realistic one here is that the ducks had fallen out of this deal because it seems as if that they weren't comfortable with the surgery. And I think that that is the most important thing. Well, because... No, 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 no. Oh. So, so it's not, it's not that, I mean, this is my understanding. If you want to okay. look it up. I, yeah, it, yeah. I'm looking it up right now. I'm getting an article. Not, they did not, they were not willing to get him pre-surgery. I don't think the, the nature of the surgery was the issue. Well, I, to me that, that read as it was the nature of the, it was the, the nature of the surgery. Possibly. But I mean, just on it on its face, it seems like they wanted to see him play again before trading for him. Yeah, they wanted they wanted to see how he would bounce back, which is kind of weird because if that's the case, then the Ducks must have been out of it for a while now. Yeah. Right? So so here's the exact wording from Pierre mm-hmm. LeBron: The Anaheim Ducks had stayed in touch with the Sabers dating back to last summer, but fell out of it. I'm told because they weren't ready to risk dealing for him pre-surgery had Eichel yep. got the surgery in Buffalo and fully recovered I think the Ducks would have re-engaged so to me what that that they must read, have been out of it for a while well to me what that reads as is um the Ducks had seen the medicals that what was it Pat Brisson was sending out yep. and didn't feel comfortable taking on the risk of him getting that surgery here and so they weren't necessarily comfortable with that surgery they wanted Buffalo to take on the risk and then them trade for him after the fact. That's how that read to me. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but to me, it basically seems like they weren't comfortable with the surgery where if that's what the doctors were saying, that's kind of the end of discussion there, right? Like there's no real leeway there if your doctors aren't going to allow it. Well, pre-surgery could mean either one though. That's the, that's the thing. So they would have been fine. So if Buffalo had said, yes, you can get the, the, the disc replacement and maybe and then he plays like then that, that statement would still hold true. So but, uh, true. So I, may, I think it's not wanting to take I mean, on the I risk mean, I, of I, trading I, for an injured player. I think your that. point is a good one though, because it, that doesn't fully explain that doesn't completely like there's, there's still a little wiggle room there where you can to say, me, it well, makes more sense that the, the, the ducks doctors weren't okay with with the disc replacement. And so they would have only wanted to deal with him after he got the surgery in Buffalo. That that's to me, at least what makes the most sense so the, in this situation. The, the hypothetical is that the ducks. So if the ducks doctors come back and say, we looked at the medicals, we think that the disc replacement makes sense, you know, with that information, the Ducks front office could still possibly say, no, we True. want to see how he True. looks first. True. But on the flip which, side, which would be so short-sighted because as Chris Kindred brings up in our Twitch chat, uh, if the Ducks would have made, if let's just say Eichel gets that surgery in Buffalo, recovers fine to the point where Ducks wa- the Ducks want to trade for him, they have to give up so much more to get him. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think I also have a hard time believing that if the Ducks doctors had come back and said, you know what, this is like a, a fine procedure, the disc replacement, he's going to heal great. Or like but our, at least our opinion is that this is a good thing to do. Then 
when it, it's just hard to believe that the Ducks would just kind of still hold on to that view of no, we need to see him play. Yeah. Like, like you would think you would think that that would embolden them to get in on the race. So, but I guess regardless, regardless of all the details of this, I don't think it's a big deal that the Ducks didn't. No, like it, I, here's the thing. I think getting Eichel would have put the uh, the rebuild into light speed. I think that it it's a completely different conversation about this team moving forward. I yes. think you have a bona fide number one center in the prime of his career where the Ducks could potentially become contending next year. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it doesn't change the course of action necessarily for this franchise. And I still think that there is a positive course of action. It's not as if all is lost for this team. My view of it, though, is it's very rare to have the ability to get a uh, number one center in the NHL Mm -hmm. in the prime of his career. And if you have the ability to do that and can make a deal work, you have to do it. And I think you and I are both of that viewpoint. And so I think yeah. that to me, that's, I think the opportunity that has been lost here, but this is a very unique situation with the surgeries that's going on. Yeah, exactly. Like there's enough, like my own opinion is that I would have gone for it. I would have tried mm-hmm. to make this happen Agreed. more aggressively than it seems like the ducks did. That being said, I recognize that that opinion isn't, it's not like an objective thing. You you can there's a there's a counter argument there which I think is not terrible either which is the risk factor with the injury, the fact that you are going to have to sell off a decent amount for the Ducks like it's not as if yes yes they do have a a loaded farm system but they're still kind of at the beginning of this upswing right it's still very much in its infancy and so you're going to have to tear out a decent chunk of that to get Eichel Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're you're really left with kind of this more bare bones framework that you're going to have to build up. Um, it's going to be easier to build up because you'll have Jack Eichel, but nevertheless, you are going to take a big chunk out of that. You're probably like, if the, if this deal were to be made this season, I feel like Buffalo would have really wanted Troy Terry, right? Like the, yeah. that's, that's the guy I mean, that over you... summer. They would have probably wanted Comtois. Exactly. Which so, is funny. So giving up, you know, Terry, giving it's, up... I still would do that. And you and sure. I are the biggest Terry's fan, Terry fans, but you do that. But you are giving up. I mean, yeah, it's tough, right? And so anyway, I think that where they are now, they're not going to get Jack Eichel. That that ship has sailed. They have all of their pieces. They have everything is intact. They have all of their picks, you know, because it's no small thing for the Ducks to give up a first round pick. Um, Now, maybe they could have gotten it, you know, protected like the like the Golden Knights Mm -hmm. did, but it's it's no small thing. So now they sit with with everything that they had before. And they're still well positioned. Like, they, yeah. like this is this is going to take longer now. They they still have a lot of pending UFAs. They still have. I mean, yeah. Uh, Christian W brought bring brought it up on Twitter. To me, do you guys think Shattenkirk uh, gets moved with the way that he's been producing? And how much could he get for the franchise? I mean, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, certainly a second round pick feels like it's it's possible there. But yeah, so that's the thing. Like, they're they're still sitting pretty in my view. Yeah, and and you know, getting Eichel, I think, would have been the choice I would have made. But not doing it is is a defensible position as well. So yeah, yeah, agreed. So I mean, I mean you know, I, I try to have really, you know, I try to really believe my takes and really go all in on them. But you got to well, recognize sometimes that there is yeah, and something and I, to be said for the other side as well. Yeah, I, I think that there there's definitely two sides to every coin here. 
yeah, I mean, I would have gone for it. I like, I think that that would have been the correct move, but not doing it is not this crazy thing either. So, yep. Um, I mean, now though, the Ducks are going to have to deal with Jack Eichel in their own division, which is going to be interesting. Um, yeah, the the more fun thing out of all this is that we get Eichel versus McDavid potentially in the playoffs. Yeah. Have you yeah. had you thought about that yet? Yeah, I'd seen that get get brought up. I mean, he's had to answer questions about that. About oh, really? I being, I haven't really being, watched a whole lot. Being in McDavid's shadow, essentially. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, personally, I kind of hate it to be honest because it seems like Vegas always does this. I mean, they, they oh have... oh, from the perspective of him going to Vegas, I hate it because yeah. I mean, here's the thing: I respect the hell out of Vegas for doing this. Mm-hmm. because they are taking advantage of a market inefficiency, which is being risked, uh, which is risk, which is just really putting a ton of value on prospects and, and first round. picks. Well, not only that, but also just risk in general. A lot yeah. of general managers are very risk adverse in this league and Vegas is, uh, willing to essentially do whatever to, to win and take on as much risk as they can put, take, uh, take on a, give out a risky contract, willing to move guys out. I mean, and, and not being afraid to move guys out that have been good for them. I mean, Riley Smith could be traded at the deadline. They could sell off Riley Smith to make cap space. And that's insane when you think about what he's done for that franchise. But with Jack Eichel coming back, it, it, it it's going to be great for them. And then, um, by the way, McDavid's a cheat code. Like, right. Like that goal he scored is just, he illegitimately looked like he was like a ringer in beer league. Yeah. I mean, his, his, the celebration was the best part about it. That was, it was just so insane how he's, it's like he was a wide receiver seeing a seam and just kind of cutting through it. And it was just like the perfect timing, complete misdirection. It was nuts. But, but bringing it back to, to Vegas, I think it's an interesting philosophy of just, you know, cause a lot of people would have said, you know, okay, you've got a brand new team. You've got an expansion franchise. You want to slow play it. You want to build up your farm system. You want to kind of home grow your team. And instead, they've just said, screw that. We're just going to sell off everything we have and just basically star stud our our lineup as much as we can and go from there. And I think that that's just really, it's if nothing else, it's entertaining. I, I hate it, though, from the perspective of they're the only ones that are doing this. They're the only ones that are constantly getting, you know, star players to come to them th- via trade. They're always the ones that win the sweepstakes, the fill in the blank sweepstakes, the Pacioretty sweepstakes, the Eichel sweepstakes. They're always the team that get the Stone sweepstakes. They're always the team that gets them. And I would have rather seen Eichel go somewhere else just for the Calgary. The diversity. Would Calgary would have been fun. Calgary would have been fun um, for the not, same thing with the McDavid. Not the sexiest uh, destination, but yeah, that I hadn't thought about the McDavid perspective. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so the saga is over. The our listeners don't have to hear us talking about Eichel anymore. Yep. Turns out me being confident about him becoming a duck is, was yeah. completely unfounded. Yeah, you're, you're, you're I'll in, take the L. You're in huge shambles after that. Whatever. You know, sometimes you just gotta accept the L's. Well, I think if you had known what we know now, which is that they didn't want him pre-surgery, that would have probably. Oh yeah, changed. it would have changed things. Yeah, like completely. Um. Yeah, well, I don't know. Anything else that you've got? I mean, we're about an hour and a half in. Maybe no. some questions. Yeah, I think it's time for some questions. So for those of you in the Twitch chat, uh, 
go ahead, throw some questions in for the, but, uh, basically for those on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, you can like, and subscribe to our videos there. You can comment there. I will see them. I will respond to them. If there's a question, anything that you want my input on, feel free to throw a comment. I will see it. I will respond to it. Uh, Felix definitely won't cause Felix doesn't care about anyone. Wow. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. How it is. If I send him something, he'll probably respond. But or anyone uh, listening on your favorite podcast services, uh, we do a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash pond where you can come and watch us live and interact with us live. And you have Amazon Prime. You get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after three days. But I do believe there is now a way to do it for multiple links. And I saw that our good friend Jess Science Cat uh, extended hers to May. So thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. Uh, and you can be just like Kempafu who resubbed for 26 months uh saying silverberg gets a hat trick tomorrow or silverberg to zegris hat trick tomorrow our good friend bonnie uh resub for 37 months and then jess also gifted out five tier one subs so thank you so much for all of that so let's get some questions in here so lewis x209 good friend of the show patron everything uh has an off the wall question but says what is your favorite kind of bread Ooh, this is a this is a trap question. Um, Jake, why don't you go first? Uh, sourdough. Sourdough. Okay. Sourdough. I, I, have, I have time for sourdough. Sourdough is good. Good on toast. Good in a sandwich. Good as a bread bowl. Pretty good overall. Good staple. I'm gonna go with just the the, the classic French baguette. I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't get any better than that. That is that is the Rolls Royce of bread. Um, Fair enough. So yeah, I'm gonna go. Very, with that. very milk toast take. Not a big what? deal. What? That that might be your most just like normal take like I've heard. Like Oh my god. That might be the most just like okay, sure. <laughs> like I was expecting like you to like go Wonder, off on a tangent. Wonder bread? Yeah, when you said like the classic, I thought you were going to say white bread like Wonder bread. That was what I was like bracing myself for. Oh my god. That's <laughs> funny. This is this is the life cycle of, of me on the show is I can't I can't get any love when I'm giving you know my my controversial takes and when i give something that's generally agreeable i also get pushback so i don't know i don't know what it is just 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 can't win them all i guess or, or can't yeah. win any in, in this case i will also say i don't does this count as bread english muffins or are they muffins <laughs> english muffins are very good just want to put that out there they are they are don't worry yeah. agreed uh let's see gibby fan 36 says what is vegas's cap problem due to the tone in their locker room who's gonna go so that's an interesting part of it also is just vegas saying screw it we'll deal with the cap later yeah like <laughs> they'll figure it out uh i mean probably what's gonna happen is riley smith will get moved out yeah like that yeah. at five mil he probably get, i mean they probably honestly sell and like get assets back for riley smith from a contender mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I'm not totally sure what they're going to do, but that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, our good friend Bonnie said, what is a hot take for the next five games? So Ooh. let's look up really quickly uh, Ducks schedule. Well, they play Canucks twice and Kraken this week. Canucks twice, uh, Kraken, Capitals, Hurricanes. So I'm going to say there's some winnable I, games in there. I'm going to say the Ducks go 2-2-1. Two, two and one. Well, let me ask you this. How far can they extend this streak? Does it, does it end tomorrow or I guess tonight? It ends in Seattle. Interesting. Or you is that think... in Seattle or at home? Uh, They're on the road. That, yeah, right? that's that's on the road, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say, oh, man. 
Uh, I really don't want to agree with you, but I think you're right. I think it ends in Seattle. Hey, five five game winning streak. That's pretty good. Yeah. My hot my hot take for the next five games. Hmm. I think that assuming that Zegris can come back soon, which I think he will, uh, I think we're going to see him start to pile up some points. I mean, he hasn't really lit up the scoreboard yet, and it felt like he was coming on before he started running into the injury troubles. So, and, you know, you look at all his numbers this season, everything is kind of on the rise. So I think we're going to start seeing a little bit of a Trevor Zegris hot streak. There you go. Yeah, I, I think that that's a completely fair take right there from you. Wow, uh, look at that. I'm just racking those up today. Yeah. Uh, piling them up. Hot take for the next five games. Jacob Larson returns? Max Colmstall gets sent down. Wow. Wow, that is a dark take, but doesn't seem like it's uh, totally out of the realm of possibility either. I mean, you wanted a hot take. I gave you a hot take. Yeah, I feel like mine was kind of, again, milk, milk um, toasty. Chris Kindred asks, should the Ducks be interested in Brandstrom, Kravtsov, or Dylan Strom? So, I I don't know. I mean, Dylan Strom could make sense. I yeah, that, especially with the what's what's the supposed asking co- asking price of like what? Like yeah, I feel a like mid round pick potentially. Yeah, I think I feel like with Strom, you're buying him at his lowest value, which you know I think he's better than how the the Hawks are are dealing with him for sure. He's 24, going to be 25 this season, so he's kind of still in that range that you'd like, you know, if you're the Ducks with your timeline. So he makes the most sense of those. I mean, Kravtsov, you know. I think that they, you know, the, the Rangers screwed up his development, and I'm just not sure how much that's going to turn around. And then Brandstrom, um, I mean, the Ducks have a lot of different issues to fix on their blue line before they can get to him. So I think, yeah, Strom is the one that makes the most sense. Yep, and Krav solved the issue there is I don't want to pay the asking price that they, or that uh, well, the Rangers yeah, he's, are supposedly he's, asking he's, for. He's being cast as this like premium asset. It's yeah, just, like no, he's a failed first rounder at this point. Like Dylan Strom, like Dylan Strom is supposedly a really low asking price, so I would potentially try to cash in on that. That just makes sense. Yeah, um, Bonnie, throw in Twitch. I'm not sure what she means by this, but she, so maybe if she can clarify. But she says, "Who is the Ducks Dragon now?" I don't the Ducks Dragon. I, yeah, I don't know. So, Bonnie, like, like, like their nemesis. I I don't know if that's nemesis or maybe the guy that just like is fiery in the locker room. I don't know, Bonnie. Let us know. Drag, a dragon. Hmm. Interpret that how you will. Yeah, I I I don't know. Uh, la, X last one left says, uh, should the Ducks go after Sam Gerard? Hmm. So Sam Gerard's pretty good, no question. The, the the issue though is what do you what will you have to give up to get Comtois for Gerard? I mean, it's surely going to be a higher ask than that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I didn't realize Gerard's only twenty three. That's insane. He's very young. His numbers are are on the rise. He's a guy who could help this team. Now, you know, if you can flip Hampus Lindholm somehow to Colorado, I mean, I think that that would that would make a lot of sense for the Ducks. I don't know how much sense it makes for. The abs. I also don't know why the abs would want to trade Samuel Gerard to be quite They're honest. not playing him. And I think really? they need to cl- and I think they need to clear space. <laughs> well then, yeah. I mean, this could be a situation where the Ducks can swoop in and kind of fix another team's problems because the Ducks Ger- have cap- the Ducks have cap space, so they can help them in that perspective from that perspective as well, t- take on some money. Um 
But yeah, yeah. that's a guy who fits their timeline and really yeah. kind of Spencer's Spencer will probably chime in at some point. But yeah, they're up against the cap at eighty one point three mil right now. Yeah. Um. So uh, basically, they are gonna need some relief at some point in time, especially long term, with the fact that uh, Nathan McKinnon's deal comes up in a couple years. Uh, and so they got to figure out what they're going to do with goaltending. So I think they're looking at Sam Gerrard and the fact that he signed for five mil at five mil for the next six years and potentially maybe looking to move him off of that. Um, if that's the case, uh, yeah, sign me up for Sam Gerrard. Like he's insanely, insanely good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Hampus Lindholm's appealing to them because they get a rental. Yeah, exactly. It's something that they can get out of, um, like yeah. Sam, Sam Gerard for for Hampus Lindholm is a perfect swap. Well, also the the benefit with Gerard is that he's already locked up long term, which yeah. I think actually works for the Ducks because yeah. he's locked up in his prime as opposed to his anti prime. <laughs> yeah, as, as the Ducks usually do. We have clarification, by the way, on From, uh, the dragon. Yeah, who is the dragon that they have to slay? So I, I like the follow up though. Who's the nemesis for the new improved baby duck army? So the baby ducks. Um, I don't know. I don't think they really have a rival right now. I mean, no. maybe, maybe LA regional, regional yeah. rival. That I, maybe that's, I, I mean, the, the dragon that they have to slay is just their themselves. Like, yeah. like they, Dallas they, Akins. They, they, yeah. They have to, they have to just make better decisions more consistently. Like it's, it's really just all about them right now. I don't think yeah. they're at the point yet where, you know, cause if you look back at the ducks in the mid 2010s, where it was, you know, they've got to get past, whether it be Chicago or Nashville, like they had an actual nemesis then, but I think for right now, uh, the nemesis is just themselves. Yeah. 100%. Um, it, it's, it's playing good, a uh, good game at five on five. That's their nemesis. It, it's not playing Nick Deloria in the top six anymore. Oh God. Can, can that end please? I don't, I like, I haven't <laughs> I, talked I love, about that enough, but we, it's, we haven't it's talked miserable. about it at all. I've said it like twice, but that's mis- it's been miserable. Like the play just dies in the offensive zone with them out there. Yeah, I I'm not totally sure what the I, I know what I I can tell you what the reasoning might be, which is that he is going to protect the younger players, uh, which I mean hasn't really worked out well for Trevor Zegers. And then also, yeah, the the slew foot happened with him on the ice. Yeah, right. So it's like that's not really affecting anything, and then. Oh, I guess he's more responsible defensively. Even if you look at Nick Deloria's underlying numbers, his even strength defense is actually pretty good. It's in the 76th percentile. The problem is he's in the first percentile offensively. So pretty much any value that he adds without the puck defending, it just all goes away as soon as they get it back. And and it makes sense. Like you watch them, you watch him play, and it's like as soon as he gets the puck. Like you said, the play just dies. It's just he can't keep up with like when he's when he's been with Zegris and Milano. You can just tell it sticks out like a sore thumb that he that he doesn't have the skill level to to elevate that line. And I'm pretty sure he would even agree with this statement. By the way, um, yeah, I, I think that he could help them in very niche situations defensively, but that's not adding like that's not getting full value from Zegris and Milano at that point. Nope. When you're putting a and guy like same thing line. with Getzloff and Terry. Yeah. So. Don't really know what's going on there, but it is what it is. <laughs> yep. Uh, Brandon Pineda asks, question, now that Eichel is gone, is there anyone to target for trades with the UFAs we have or just stockpiling picks? I don't have any name that pops up in my I head. I mean, Travis Dermott is an interesting player if 
Toronto is willing to move on from him. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, Jake Robles has mentioned get, that. Is he going to become your new Vince Dunn? Maybe, but supposedly, I, I guess uh, the Maple Leafs are looking for a guy that's on an expiring deal. They kind of want to get a rental for their blue line. Here we go again. Manson or Raquel to Toronto for young player. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, Manson. Uh, Every year we do this rigmarole. Yeah, we do. We, we definitely I mean, do. hey, maybe it'll happen this time. Maybe it'll happen this time. I don't know. Uh, no, but I mean, it's just a name. I mean, it's the Leafs. There's always going to be a Andre name. Andre Kasha, kinda. by the way, former duck in, in Toronto. Thriving. Yeah, yeah, you there know, you go. good player. Happy to see it. Yep, good for him. Um, but I, it's always going to happen because always a least player's name is going to th- show up in trade rumors. So obviously, it's yeah, easy to because, focus on because it. Toronto just bleeds rumors constantly. Yeah. I mean, have they? I haven't even been paying attention. Have they turned their season around yet? Yes, they have. Is, They've is been playing still, well. Is it still five alarm? Okay, got no, it. it's it's it is not five alarm. The their schedule is back on track. They're a good team. Yeah, I mean, as we knew. Um, yeah shocker yeah i don't know do we have any other questions uh yeah lewis x209 asks Derek grant has a three-game point streak does he extend it tomorrow yeah we're clearly haters because we haven't discussed that yet i think that we just outed ourselves as grant haters by not making that the the lead of the show is Derek grant's point streak i mean he's played better as of late i guess i mean he's he's chipping in offensively don't say we didn't say anything positive about Derek grant yeah, I mean, like you look at the you look at the two Carrick goals, and I mean it's the primary assist from Grant each time. Uh, so yeah, I mean he's he's doing some some good things. Uh, yep. By the way, um, I do want to shout out Bo Grew for his secondary assist on the Carrick goal yesterday. Um, nice little saucer pass to mm. to Grant. So don't say I never said anything nice about Bo Grew either. Just there you go the, for the peanut um, gallery. All right, final question. Let's do this because this is actually kind of interesting. Okay. Bonnie asks, which veterans will be rentals and will come back afterwards versus trading and gone? Do you think any of the Ducks uh, pending UFAs will be traded and come back? I don't think so. Yeah, Um, I agree there. I mean, I think Lindholm is going to test the market no matter what. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I think Raquel is going to do the same thing. Yeah, it just feels like yeah, these guys are Manson, players. Manson might be the only one. I could oh. see with yeah. Oh, Getzloff. Oh, okay, yeah, we're 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 factoring him in. We um, yeah, I guess like someone said Getzloff if it comes back. Well, here's a here's a, a question for Getzloff. So, you know, he's he's getting he got the record. He's going to get to a thousand points. He's going to surpass a thousand points. What comes next for him in Anaheim? Because I, I I asked CJ a little bit about this last show, but. Do you think that he's still a lock to finish his career as a duck after all this? I or, or does it, it make it does it make it easier to leave now? I think it makes it harder to leave. Really? Because I, I feel like you you could take the opposite view, which is well, I got my records, I got every you know, I, I've got the feathers in my cap now that I, I I couldn't have gotten if I had left. But now that he's got them, maybe you're not leaving any money on the table. At he that still point. could have gotten those if he had left last year and come back though. And I think that. Well, I think yeah. It, but no, I, but I'm, I, I'm saying over the summer, like no, he goes I, to re-sign in. Oh, Anaheim. fair. Yeah, I think, I think it is less likely that he is moved though now, because I think that now that he has all of these records, mm-hmm. and once he hits a thousand points, I think there's potentially going to be an outpouring. And you heard Tamu bring this up in the Q and A he had. 
and how he's like that type of stuff matters to Getzloff and play, having a one team career is something that matters. And yeah. you, it, it's very unique. You look at Iserman and I think that type of situation really matters to Getzloff. And so okay. well, fair enough. I, I think that I think from, and I've, I've said this for years or a couple years now where from a purely cold analytical perspective, you move him. Yeah. But well, he's got the no move. So if, and if, if he's will, and if he is willing to move, then you move him. Mm-hmm. But also from the fan perspective, I think there is something really cool to being a player that is a one team player yeah. over the course of his career. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's some things that are definitely that you can't really quantify. Like correct, that. Um, and, and I think that that is part of it with him. And so I, I think he. I don't think he gets moved. I think he stays a duck. And I, I also think he's just. I mean, this doesn't totally matter because the Ducks aren't trying to make the playoffs. But he's playing really well. I mean, this yeah, is oh. He's he's had a couple great seat like this year. Obviously, I think he's been better than last year. But he was still good last year. But just contrary on... contrary to what some people might tell you. Oh yeah, well, focusing on this season though, like it just feels like there's an energy about him, game in and game out. I, I, I every game I've been finding something to gif about Getzlaff. Like just he, he looks engaged. He's just a good. Way. He's a good player. He's just. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh-oh. on the back of his career. Spicy, spicy take alert. Is it spicy? I mean, I think you 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 can easily find people who will disagree with that. Well, you can it. easily find people that will disagree with anything. I thought you yeah. weren't you the one last week who said the it's more undeniable or it's much easier to say he's a Hall of Famer than is he's the greatest duck. Oh no, yeah, I I agree. Okay. I, I, agree I agree with the statement. I'm just okay. saying, like, there's people out there who definitely disagree with that. Like, I mean, there, there's also people who don't think the Earth is round. So I guess that's not really true. Saying anything. Like, like from like the argument for him being in the Hockey Hall of Fame is it's not the NHL Hall of Fame; it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. And has didn't he won a world jun- he won a world junior I think yeah but he 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 has two Stanley or two uh two uh, Olympic gold medals yeah. he has a Stanley Cup he is a runner up for the Hart Trophy he's been on multiple second team All Stars that the only reason why he was the second team All Star was because Sidney Crosby existed in the league um so he like right like if Sidney Crosby didn't exist he's a first team All Star right. Is that first team all? Are you talking about first team all star or the heart trophy? First team all star. Okay, but didn't he get edged out for the heart as well? Or yeah, by, just... by Crosby. Also. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so, well, so I, I no, that was my take last week, and I'm I'm impressed that you remember that since you weren't on the show. Exactly. But, I listen. I but, listen when I'm not on. When I'm yeah. on, I don't listen. Well, yeah, <laughs> which is ironic, but. So yeah, I remember saying that, and it's that I think it's easier to make the case for the Hall of Fame than Greatest Duck because with Greatest Duck you have to contend with Timo, and I think he's got a strong case. But Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame specifically, yeah, like his resume is is a great one, and yeah. there's no way he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. And I brought up that model, um, you know, for, yep. for predicting, and he's like you know roughly seventy percent to get in. So. If he continues to pile up points, like he's a lock. I mean, when he breaks, if he breaks a thousand points, I like at the end of the day, it it's hard because yes, you want to put together put together a model, but it's people that vote on this. Well, yeah, but, and, but I'm and, saying, and, and so they, the, I guarantee that they take into consideration the one one uh one team thing as being almost like a plus for him. Oh yeah, no, I I think he's in. Um, it might not be first ballot. Yeah, but he will get in at some point. I think if it's a, I think they might end up doing a similar thing to what they did with Solani and Korea. 
Yeah, with and Perry. I think they'll I think they'll do Getzloff and Perry together. So you think Perry is also a lock? I think Perry is as much of a lock as Getzloff is. Well, yeah, because he's also. I mean, because they've got a the, almost well, an identical resume, except that Perry's got Perry. The, uh, here, here's the the here's the argument. I think there's a stronger argument against Perry making the Hall of Fame than against Getzloff because I think Perry isn't going to end up with the goals and the points that you typically see for a Hall of Famer. But the thing for Perry is he has the hardware that Getzloff does. Exactly. He he has a heart trophy. And the other thing is he's in what, isn't it like, uh, I think it's only him and Scott Niedermeyer have won every trophy available. Yeah. Like he, he's won a world junior. He's won a, um, why am I spacing on it right now? The um, he's won a, a Memorial Cup. Oh. He's won a World Championship. He's won a World Cup of Hockey. He's won a Stanley Cup, and he's won a gold medal. Perks of being born in Canada. Like it, it's a <laughs> it, it is the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. And if there are only two players that have won every single one of those trophies, yeah, there's no way he's not getting it. Like he gets in just based on that. Yeah, and also, I mean, he's got a decent case, but yeah, I think Getzlavs is is probably stronger than Perry's. I, I think know. they both go in together though. I think it's a, a Solani and Korea situation. And that will be that will be a great day in the in the Rudolph household. It will happens. be. It will be. Um yeah, what what were we even discussing? Is, I, don't, I don't I don't remember. I I, I honestly <laughs> don't I I don't even remember at this point in time. It was about being oh, guys getting traded and coming back and that's how we got on the oh. gets off tangent again. Wow. Okay. Um, That's yeah. good. That, that was a really good tangent. I'm impressed with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you brought it up actually, so it's I, it's, it's, I, it's to your credit. I'm impressed. That was a good yeah. one. But I don't think. Uh, I mean, you've kind of talked to me into Getzlaff not ever leaving. Um, it's just it's just a narrative that won't go away, and it's just I can't I, I can't unread the things I'm I'm seeing, but. I agree with you. There's a good case that he's going to stay. And then for the other guys, Lindholm, I, I think Manson, there's a decent case because he, there's just that whole, like, you know, he's a leader. Bob Murray loves him. So maybe they do flip him and bring him back, but that he'd be the only one like Lindholm yeah. and Raquel. I just don't see it. Agreed. So, yeah. All right. I think that's probably going to do it for us tonight. Dang. You know, we, we, we I, I like it. We got through it pretty quickly, you know, just an hour 49. Nice and succinct for us there. There we go. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, hey, you know, I I had a lot to say. It, it had been two weeks. Well, last week we actually went longer. I so, know. So technically, you're actually. Uh, and also, here. I haven't given you any crap. Uh, you you didn't burn this place down. Yeah. You kept it afloat. Yeah. You uh, didn't uh, completely ruin things. <laughs> I, I did kind of idiot-proof this for you, though. Uh, it, if anyone was watching or anything, there, there wasn't necessarily any of the music or anything like that or anything on screen that you see now because I tried to make it as simple as possible for Felix here. You know, um, that that's what a good podcast host does. Good I, podcast I'm, co-host. I'm going to ignore that. And uh, Bonnie's throwing in a, a late question, <laughs> a, a buzzer-beating question here. Thanks, Bonnie, <laughs> for this question so that I can get out of this, this topic this topic thread although i did have to save you with uh, the youtube upload did, did have to come in and, and do oh, and what Brandon Pineda with the <laughs> wow look at that questions just pouring in great timing everybody <laughs> uh, will john gibson be starting goalie for usa i mean so this goes into bonnie's question that he he was named one of the three stars of the week in the nhl um i think he gets one start i think it's between him and hellbuck though the it, the conversation that Jack uh, Jack Campbell is potentially going to be on Team USA is laughable to me. 
That's a conversation? Uh, yes. Well, hold on. So Gibson and Hellebuck are locks. Thatcher okay. Demko or Spencer Knight for the third spot. Has has Spencer Knight been any good this year? I don't I know, but I could I could see them wanting to take a third goalie that's a younger guy. There yeah. was some conversation of them wanting to do that with Gibson last Olympics, but that was when he was in the AHL, and there was some even conversation about that. So Jack Campbell is fourth in GSAX this season. So Jake, there's an you, argument to take him. You're in jambles after your statement there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Gibson's Gibson's 10th. Like, Gibson's been good this year. I yeah. think that we should uh, probably. I mean, Team USA goaltending is very strong. Yeah. you know, Like, the Jack thing... Campbell would probably be a starter for Canada. Uh, hold on there. Hold on. I'm trying to think who would even start for Canada right now. Bennington. Carter Hart has is Bennington. Seven. Oh yeah, it it would probably. Oh man, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Um, because Flurry, Flurry probably isn't it. Well, how do you even judge Flurry though? I mean, he's playing for the the worst one of the worst teams in the NHL, um, behind no defense. I'm just, I'm not I'm not, try, I'm not trying to. He say probably he goes as one of the goalies, and they figure it out when he gets there. Yeah, I mean, this does kind of make me question. Goal saved, though I've expected a little bit, though. The fact that Flurry looked like a... I mean, he was a Vezina. Sorry, Lewis gets a much more fun question in Under the Wire here that we're going to... We're ending with this one. Okay, okay. Might as well ask this. Does Troy Terry get on the USA roster? Hey, this is something I texted you the other day. So here's here's he the question. Up. So here's the question about this. And, and this is actually an important piece of information for everyone out there that I heard... Uh, right before the season started, I guess, uh, it was when they announced the, the first three players for every team, every kind of team kind of did that. Uh-huh. Um, there's a long list that every team had to submit. So every organ, every us, every USA hockey, hockey, oh, he Canada, has to be on it. He has to be on it. Every, every team, every organization had to submit a roster of 50 players to the IOC, uh, of players that they could select. And if, there is and if he is not on that list no matter how well he is playing they cannot select him okay so the real question is was troy terry on their list of 50 players going into this season do you think he was oh i thought you were going to tell us if he was or wasn't no i have no idea i have not seen and the list were not released at all so i have no clue we could probably Um, find out i get i actually think cam fowler is a really good chance of making the usa roster well, but he he'd have to be, have been on that list. Which yeah, I think, I think there's a I, decent chance. I think yeah. there's a. I mean, Cam Fowler played in the last Olympics. Cam Fowler's been that, good this that, season. That the NHLers were at. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing: Troy Terry, if he goes, would be the only returning member of the <laughs> uh, 2018 <laughs> Olympic team. Yeah, yeah, the, that oh. legendary team. Yeah. Um, so well, I mean, I feel like he'd be on the long list just because of his past with USA Hockey. It's it's possible, but I mean, there's a lot of players from USA there's Hockey. A, there's a shit ton. Yeah. So it's like you have to think like, is he on the set like prior to the season? Was he like potentially the second best team of USA USA players? Is he was he on the USA B team? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like it's not well, as if he had the Cisco profile of it. So that that's the question here of like, did they have him in that range? Uh, yeah. Because 50 sounds like a lot, but then you think about it, and it's really not. It's two every, teams. Every U.S.-born player, yeah. Ugh. I mean, I I could see it either way, because I think the USA hockey ties thing is a, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not like he was lighting the world on fire last season. So, 
Yep, I, I could yeah. see either way. I think if he is on the long list, I think he's making a very strong case for himself. Oh, if he's on the long list, then yeah, I, I, I would I would put a little money on that of him making it. Yeah, but I'm also a terrible gambler, so t- take that for what it's worth. There you um, go. Okay. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, Jake, you were you were trying to bring me down with your commentary there. It's okay. Hey, it was I was uh in some ways giving you credit though. <laughs> in some ways, yes. You didn't burn the place down. You did the, a good the, enough job. The, you the survived. Credit, the credit that you gave me is essentially this. The expectations were so <laughs> absurdly minimal that I somehow managed to meet them. Cuz I don't think I don't think I heard anything about exceeding them. I just like met them. They're they're in the ground, and I managed to just stay in the ground, basically. Yeah, which I'll take it. Hey, I set I'll you up it. for I. I was better than Dallas Akins. I set you up for success, not failure. Yeah, you didn't you didn't stick me on a line with with Grant and Delorier. So I appreciate no. that. No. I appreciate that. I mean, to your credit, it was pretty easy. Like, yeah, it, it didn't feel that challenging. I, I, I thought, gave you know, I gave you a very easy setup. Don't worry, thought, much thought, easier you know, than I usually what, do. What is what is Jake even complaining about? This is this isn't hard. As prior to the show, you're like, I'm so happy. I don't have to control it anymore. I can just focus. I. It's... Well, yeah, no. I mean, it is true that not having to work worry about the technical stuff while talking makes it a lot easier to formulate sentences. All right, and... start. You can start landing this plane as I'm going to grab Salem. All right. Well, everyone, if you've made it this far, two hours in, I applaud you. Uh, that must mean that you enjoy our show. I, at least I would think, because uh, otherwise, how can you get through two hours of this? So if you've been enjoying the show, there's a few really easy ways for you to support us. So the number one way is to check out our Patreon. So that's going to be at patreon.com slash crash the pond. And so over there, there's three different tiers of monthly support that you can pledge. So for $1 a month, a $1 a month monthly pledge, you get access to our patrons only discord chat and it's been awesome to see lately we've had a lot of new faces popping up in there um so shout out to everyone who's been joining in it's a lot of fun it's basically a place where you get to connect with other diehard ducks fans so while games are going on off days you get to talk about breaking news talk about what's going on around the nhl it's a really fun environment you know no one's there to dunk on anyone it's just we're all having a good time and it doesn't necessarily have to be hockey related either we have a general chat which uh there's a wrestling chat there is yeah oh that's tragic but hey it's it's me uh mike deflorio and lewis just all just talking wrestling it's a good time there you go dynamites are always fun there you go and then for five dollars a month you get access to two bonus episodes and this month in particular if you're a new sign up it's a good month to join in because there's going to be three bonus episodes since we are making up for last month, uh, we're gonna blame Jake on that one, being being out on an on an adventure. <laughs> sure, anyway. well, I sure fine. I'm not gonna expose you. <laughs> yeah, don't expose me, please. Um, I'll take in, the blame. In in, in in these bonus episodes, though, we go into great detail. We do sometimes we'll do deep dives in the ducks, talk about a specific topic that maybe we don't have time to get to on the regular show, uh, or we'll do league wide rankings, for example. Um, so we'll do like our our favorites for a particular award or who's our breakout players. So it's a lot of fun. It's more unfiltered, right? We, we, if you enjoy the banter of the show, you definitely get a lot more of it as Jake has Salem in his arms and she's just looking him up. Love to see that. Um, so that's for $5 a month, the bonus content there. Now for $15 a month, you get access to the chat, you get access to the bonus episodes and you get access to two watch alongs a month. Now these are a ton of fun because it's Jake and I, 
doing a stream of a live Ducks game and giving you our commentary as the game is happening. You can join in on a YouTube chat that we set up. It's a it's a private link for patrons only. So you can interact with us as it's happening. We're giving you our uh, our breakdowns as the game is going on, giving you some stats, giving you just a different feel from what you're going to get from the traditional broadcast. And because these tend to be about three hours long, there's some shooting the breeze. There's definitely some more casual conversation as well. So, it might, I mean, if it's on a, well, no, it won't be on a Monday, but if it's a Wednesday, it can be a Mai Tai Wednesday. Yeah. It, there, there can be alcohol involved, believe it or not. Um, shocking. I know from us, but that is the case. So you can find all of that at patreoncom slash crash the pond. Now you do not have to pledge uh, a financial amount every month as Jake is just showing us the Mai Tai. It's delicious. Cut just, water Mai Tai, not a sponsor. Please everyone try it. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to make a financial commitment to us every month to support us. That's totally understandable. Um, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. And if you do that, we will read it on the show. Um, those help us out a ton. They help the show grow. Um, and so you, all you got to do is search crash the pond on Apple podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us there, subscribe on the respective platform. You can also find us on YouTube so you can get the video format of the show. You can get the live stream with some of the charts that Jake puts up during the stream. You get to see Salem, the black cat. You get to see Jake's Mai Tai. You get to see Jake's hat. Um, you get to see it all. I mean, Jake is bringing all the entertainment got, value. Got here. my crash the pond shirt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, mustache. Move. It's Movember. There you go. So if you, if you want all of that, all of that, that, that the entertainment value just teeming from Jake's side of this, uh, you can find us there. YouTube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe to us and make sure to turn on the notifications as well for when it goes up. Help us with the algorithm is basically what we want. Um, outside of that, uh, you can find us on social media. Just search Crash the Pond on Facebook, at Crash the Pond on Twitter. You can find our website, CrashThePond.com. CrashThePond.com slash shop, actually. You can get the cool t-shirt Jake is wearing with our beautiful logo. Yeah, there you go. It's looking pretty good. Looking pretty sleek. Um, and Jake and I are on Twitter. Uh, Jake is on there at Reindeer Games 91 and I'm on there at Felix underscore Sicard. So with all that being said, with all two hours worth of that being said. Yeah, we broke two hours. We will, we will bid all of you adieu, and we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great week, everybody. Bye! <laughs>